Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Sports. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Keegan Renault of RPM Data, who is uh, doing all the analytics and the scouting reports on every single NFL draft prospect. We will tell you what you need to know ahead of the NFL draft coming up in just a few weeks when uh, Keegan joins us coming up in just a little while from right now. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group with the latest headlines from around the National Football League and in college football. Also, we'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. All that more as uh, we are back after uh, being on the road in Houston at the Final Four. Great time there. Uh, certainly enjoyed it and uh, was a wonderful experience with a tune-in radio uh, co-host and coverage with a friend of the show, T.J. Reeves, and college basketball coast-to-coast. And uh, just pretty uh, surreal as uh, Thomas Bridges joins me now. Tom, uh, I got to tell you, like, I-, I-, I think I got stories that I could just tell all day. Yeah, there, there was games that happened, but th- this was a weekend, I kid you not, I will remember for the rest of my life with, with everything that occurred. Uh, and, and, and I'm not trying to make things about me here, but I, I got to tell you, um, I was just so grateful and just so glad to be there. Glad to have you with us uh, there in uh, Houston this past weekend for just everything that occurred. Uh, there, there, there's no place I would have rather been. I, I was just overjoyed with, with all of it from – the, the games that were played to the people I, I met with, uh, uh, you know, doing the work I did and everything. Like, it, it was just one of those things. I was I was just hoping time would pause right there because just kind of taking it all in. Uh, you know, five years ago, I was, I was a student covering the Final Four, and then five years later, I'm back doing national radio and just uh, just certainly kind of all, uh, you know, grateful, just, just a blessing, you know, so – Hell yeah, it looked like you had a blast and, uh, you know, it worked out that it wasn't like a crazy plane ride away, you know, being in Houston and hell, if you didn't, if you didn't end up covering, uh, you know, the men's final four, hell, the women's final four was in your backyard. Yeah. The women's final four was fantastic too. Uh, LSU wins it. Uh, I loved Caitlin Clark, man. Uh, you know, she was awesome to see and, and, uh, you know, everything that went along with that, the women's put on a fantastic product. Uh, over 10 million people watched the women's final on Sunday, which was the highest rated women's national championship of all time. They did a great job. And uh, I think the future of women's college basketball is in good shape. But, you know, I, I was trying to think, Tom, wh- where I would start as far as my final four experience goes. And and I got a, a couple things I want to bring up, Okay. Um, let, let, let me start out. Let's, let's start out by thanking friend of the show, TJ Reeves here for, for, uh, just the experience. Here's a little story. I don't even know if Thomas knows this, to be honest. So, so TJ and I, you know, we've been working together for a couple of years now between this show and, you know, he was involved, uh, as kind of the, uh, executive producer or point man for the big 12 breakdown show we did during football season, and, you know, he's helped us with the Let's Go Racing podcast, doing some stuff behind the scenes there. And then also, um, you know, just uh, we, we've done some stuff with TuneIn Radio over the last couple of years. 
And he hit me up a couple of months ago asking if I would co-host coverage uh, from the Final Four, do pre and post, and uh, on the TuneIn Radio app. And I said, yeah, absolutely, of course, I'd be there. And uh, so we did that and made that happen. And what's so crazy about it, you want to talk about going back full circle. Nine years ago, Tom, um, when I was a senior in high school and broke an arrow, and Tom, Tom knew me back then, obviously, because we were doing this show all the way back then. Um, my senior prom, I went with a girl that was a junior, and uh, her mom like wanted her back home by midnight. Okay, no problem, whatever. Uh, I remember taking her home, you know, dropping her off, and on my way back, Tom, I turn on the radio, and I kid you not, listen to Fox Sports Radio on 1430 The Buzz in Tulsa. You know who I listened to that night? TJ. TJ Reeves was doing national radio that night. So on my prom night, I was listening to TJ. And just as a listener, just enjoying the show, I thought he did a great job. Uh, I remember shortly thereafter that, I uh, added TJ on Facebook, just on a whim. And he accepted it. Then years later, uh, he invited me on his podcast. And the rest is history. So... Nine years to the month, Tom, from when I went to my senior prom and I listened to TJ on my drive home, nine years to the month later, we're working together hosting Final Four coverage. Uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. Did you tell him that? Oh, I did. I did. And uh, his response was, hopefully your prom date was better looking than me. Uh, <laughs> That's a typical TJ answer. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and so that was that, that was awesome. It's like just one of those moments like, wow, how far we've come, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, another thing along those same lines, I, I had, you know, you know, this year I'll turn 27, and, which is crazy to me because I still don't feel that old. I still feel like the, you know, the – the kid in Broken Arrow or, you know, being in college at, at Kansas. I don't feel like I'm that far removed. Um, but along those same lines, too, the one of the big national storylines this weekend, besides the game itself, was that Jim Nance was calling his last Final Four, the last college basketball broadcast he would ever do for uh, CBS. And it was in his hometown in Houston. He was go he was getting to go out with calling his his alma mater, his hometown school there. And uh, you know, we heard all the tributes from everyone from Kelvin Sampson to Bill Self to Coach K, Steve Kerr. Everybody had something nice to say about Jim Nance. And you know, with that in mind, one of the things I wanted to do on Monday, Tom, was just just shake Jim's hand, congratulate him and say, hi, you know, I, I didn't have to get a picture or anything. I, I just wanted to just talk to him for a second. Well, well, Tom, I, I tried pregame, but he had like an entourage around him. There was a lot of people trying to see Jim Nance, as you could imagine. So then uh, the game concludes and, and I've gotten a picture of Jim from the distance of him going over his notes. I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. This would be good for the memory books. And I kind of just moved on at that point. Well, the game ends, and we're doing all the media availability. And and I turn to my left, and Jim's just sitting there. Uh, he's on the court, and he's talking to people. Um, and I see, like, looking at credentials, 
college students, student journalists walking up to him and talking to him, taking pictures and everything. I'm like, okay, well, I guess this is my opportunity now. And five years earlier, when I was a student at KU and when I covered the Final Four the first time, uh, I had met Jim Nance along with my buddy Nick Cusson, and he was very kind, very gracious, uh, loved my voice, you know, it was, it was, it was awesome. And we had saw him the week prior at the Elite Eight in Omaha, and he remembered my buddy Nick and I uh, there in uh, at the Final Four. He remembered us from the week prior. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And uh, we talked about it for years and everything. And then I go back to the Final Four, and afterwards, uh, I, I introduce myself to Jim, and I say, you know, hey, uh, I just want to thank, congratulate you on a on a great run, but. I also want to thank you for being so gracious to me when uh, when we met several years ago when I was a student journalist and and uh, I, I just always thought uh, you know had a lot of respect for you you know for for how you you treated me and just want to thank you and and he said well Tyler I, I remember that I remember uh, our, our our conversations and everything and glad to see you're doing so well and everything I'm like wow you know this is I, I, I couldn't believe it. Not only was Jim's just as kind then as he treated me years ago, Tom, but the fact that he uh, remembered everything like uh, to me, that, that, that was just awesome. That was, that was one of the things that made my weekend. That was really cool. Actually. I mean, that's, you know, it's, uh, he is the, uh, Oh, he is the sports, Mr. Rogers. Yes. 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 Well, I mean, in, in the hello friends, that's like, uh, you know, would you be my neighbor? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he had the perfect ending at the end of the game when he said his final send off was Tom was. Thank you, thank for, you being for being my friend. friend. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so. That was great. Uh, sat down with uh, Tim Brando, had drinks with him for a while, and really just connected. He's been another friend that's done a lot for me. Uh, certainly appreciate him a lot. Another crazy story. Like, I could, besides the game itself, we'll, we'll be honest here. UConn dominated. They kicked ass. You know, there, there, was, there, there wasn't a whole lot to that. They, they did their thing. So the stories around it, to me, are just, just as interesting. Um, even more interesting, really. Another thing for you, Tom, uh, as I I'm just going to go through these one by one kind of here. Uh, Omar Ruiz, another friend of the show from the NFL Network. Um, Omar uh, and I go back several years, and he's been a regular on this show. We, we love anytime we can get Omar on talking NFL. Uh, well, Omar, uh, he had messaged me a couple days prior to the Final Four that he was, he reached out to me and told me he was going to be there because uh, San Diego State, his alma mater was there and he was going as a fan. I'm like, awesome. Let's uh, let's link up. We'll get together at some point. Um, well, uh, that that epic game, that San Diego State, Florida Atlanta game, came down to the buzzer beater. I turn around behind me and I see in the seats behind us a guy that looks like Omar in a San Diego State like old school jersey. I'm like, oh, is that Omar? <laughs> and so I walk over there when there was like a timeout or something. Sure enough, it was him. And we chatted up for a couple minutes. And uh, Tom, I'm sure you saw the buzzer beater and how crazy that was. 
I happened to be filming on my phone the crowd reaction. And right in front of me, Omar comes through the stands into the media section, just running. And then he runs out onto the court and everything. And I was just laughing so hard. Uh, and I posted the video on social media. I, I was in such a hurry to get the video out there. I tagged the wrong Omar Ruiz on Twitter. But uh, but Ian Rappaport ended up sharing it and it went viral and everything here. Tom, uh, I, 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 I love that for Omar, like that, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about it all the time. You, you want to be there when your school's biggest moments. I know they didn't win it all, but I, I, I was just so happy for him. And I was laughing too. Like that, that would be – that would be us, you know, if we weren't working, if we were just cheering on our teams. I mean, we, we'd be doing something crazy. Oh, hell yeah. You know, if I could get away with it, if OSU won the national championship in football and could get away <laughs> with it on the field, hell, you bet your ass. <laughs> right. Oh, man. And Omar and I talked about it afterwards. Of You know, he's so used to being a media member going to games. He loved just getting to be a fan and watching his team like that. That was awesome to see. So I was happy for Omar. That clip got played like all day on NFL Network, and they put my Twitter handle up with my picture and my verified check mark and all that. And so, uh, I didn't know that one? Yeah, yeah. They were talking about it all day. Uh, I mean, uh, it was it was great. So I was glad that. Uh, I could document that moment for, for Omar and, and, you know, just show him off uh, like that. That was, that was really cool. Uh, you know, and then, you know, kind of the, uh, a more, more serious note, two more things that also were a highlight of my weekend, Tom. Um, one of the, one of the people I met uh, when we first showed up, uh, me and TJ, uh, this, uh, this past weekend was Rob Mendez. And I don't know, Tom, if you're aware of Rob Mendez, he won the SB, the Jimmy V award for courage back in 2019. Uh, he was a, a, he's a high school football coach in California and he doesn't have any arms or any legs. Um, Rob operates this machine and, uh, that gets him everywhere he wants to go. He was riding public transit. That's where we ran into him, actually. And he's a big San Diego State fan. He's going back to school, actually, right now there. And we interviewed him, and it was amazing, Tom, to hear this guy's story of he doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't let these things get in the way of him. He just lives life and, you know, makes the most of it and has a, you know, just smiles every day and lives life to the fullest. Like I, I, I was inspired. I can't, if, if this guy can live a life like he lives uh, with what he's dealing with, like to me, that, that that's motivation to, to get through every day and do it with a smile on my face. Like I was, I was in all of this guy, Rob Mendez top. Yeah. I hadn't heard of him, but it sounds, it sounds pretty damn inspiring. That's uh you know, it definitely does make you think when you see those type of stories that you're like, well, you know, it can't be that bad. Right? Yeah. Uh, he was awesome. I uh, loved Rob Mendez. And then one more, and then we'll talk about the game itself. Uh, th this is kind of catching up to speed on everything. I don't even think Tom heard all of this from the weekend. Uh, you know, one, one that 
hit kind of home. We we all remember Tom when uh, when Grant Wall, the uh, Sports Illustrated writer, uh, passed away at the World Cup in Qatar back in November, and you know it was very sad and tragic. Uh, he had gone to the World Cup and wore a rainbow uh, shirt in support of his gay brother. And, uh, you know, that was much controversy and everything. They tried to force him to take off. He wouldn't do it. And uh, he died, you know, a couple days later. And, you know, there was questions about if foul play was involved in all this. But uh, everyone had something positive to say about Grant Wall. Just a great person, great individual Grant Wall is. And I knew he was from the Kansas City area and and covered a lot of sporting KC games over the years. But prior to that, he was covering college basketball for Sports Illustrated. He was the writer that did the cover story for Mario's Miracle when uh, Mario Chalmers hit the buzzer beater uh, to beat Memphis. And his article was there on Sports Illustrated. Uh, Well, Grant, he's from Kansas City. And uh, he grew up a KU fan. Well... He was inducted into the uh, United States uh, Writers uh, Basketball Writers Association Hall of Fame this weekend. Uh, and in his place, obviously, since he passed away, uh, his wife and his brother showed up and did the ceremony for him. They spoke on his behalf. And just hearing them share their story and hearing from his brother directly, who he spoke up for, and defending, and I talked to them afterwards, and you know, hearing him talk about, you know, he grew up rooting on KU, and his brother was a KU alum, and 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 just their connections of, you know, how much they love the sport and the man that Grant Wall is, and and just getting to, you know, talk to them for a minute and just say, hey, I, I, uh, I loved hearing from you. I, I'm I'm sorry what you've gone through, but. Uh, to have that connection, like Tom, Tom, that that hit close to home to me. You know, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, and and, and I'm just glad to know that, you know, Grant was an incredible man. The impact that he had on people here. I mean, that to me, it was it's kind of hard to put into words. It was it was something else to to just really see that firsthand of uh, of them speak up and what they had gone through like that. I, uh, I've I, I certainly was was feeling for him, and, and it, it it touched me a lot. I, I got a little choked up there. Man, yeah, you hadn't told me that part. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that's uh, you know, seems like sounds like you just had a, a hell of a weekend in Houston, man. Yeah, sounds like you had, you had every experience. It sounded like. Oh yeah, I mean, from everything from great basketball to. You know, the self-reflection, you know, here we are, right? And the people you meet and then then be inspired too, you know, and, and you know, and seeing what people dealt with and just having them go through things like I was only there four or five days, whatever. But, I mean, I, I came back to work, Tom, just like ready to take things head on, you know, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm ready to run through a brick wall right now. That was my approach. Did you uh did you go to the final four? Did you go to a uh, a motivational conference? I know, right? I mean, just in, just in every way, you know. And I, I was th- this job I have, you know, and the, the things we do, people we meet, you know, um, 
it, it made me hungry for more, you know, and, and just loved all of it. And it was an incredible time. And can't sound wait. Like you just came back from a sound like you just came back from a fucking Tony Robbins conference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, mean, which is awesome. Yeah. And, and not to mention like the basketball that was played there. Tom, I know you were watching. I mean, UConn just kicked ass. I mean, oh, yeah. that was a complete team. Sonogo, I, I, I like to call him what Kenny Smith called him, Sonoko, because he was just gassing up their opponents. Um, <laughs> I mean, he was just unbelievable. The, the, that team just had the size, the athleticism. Nothing was standing in their way. And, you know, FAU was a great story. Uh, they came very close to getting that national championship. San Diego State was a great story. Heck, even the team that's forgotten about from this weekend, Miami. Jim Laranaga getting back to the Final Four. Great run for them. The theme this entire college basketball season. I'll wrap up the Final Four on this. This note, Tom. Um, the theme of this college basketball season we heard all along was there's no great teams. There's all this parity. Well, UConn started out hot this year. They kind of hit a lull. And then, you know, they were a little wishy-washy there at the end of the season. They finished fourth in the Big East. Um, they didn't win their conference tournament. But then they put it all together when it mattered in March. And while there may not have been a great team during the season, Tom, a great team emerged in the tournament. UConn, they may have been a four seed. They may have finished fourth in the Big East. But they became a great team. And they were without question the best team in this tournament. You know, it, it makes me feel easier as a KU fan, Tom, about KU getting eliminated in the second round by Arkansas because they would have just gotten their ass kicked by UConn more than likely in the Sweet 16. I mean, UConn was – there was nothing that was going to stop them from winning this tournament other than beating themselves. It would have had to take in some type of catastrophic injury of some sorts because UConn just had everything going for them. You know, they really did, and they went on a tear, and, you know, it's – you know, you don't get UConn every year. I saw someone talk about this on uh, on Instagram on a reel or something, and they were talking about, you know, UConn, they're not like Duke or – you know, they're not – I mean, they're somewhat of a blue bud. They're definitely a shade of blue. Um, but, you know, it's not like each and every year they're not getting picked every single year to be one of the top favorites. And then there's some years that UConn is downright freaking sucked, right? But every time UConn's even decently good, they end up being great. Like every time, like if, if UConn makes the Final Four, like they're they're gonna win it. Oh yeah! But like you I never mean, see about a this far good UConn team. Like either they're gonna win it all, or they might not make the tournament. So think about this, Tom. You know, the, the Blue Bloods are the top programs. They get all the love. Um, Kansas, North Carolina, Duke, UCLA, Indiana, uh, Michigan State, you know, heck, even Gonzaga. All those schools, Tom, feel like they get talked about more than UConn does. I mean, UConn feels like they get ignored. And this was – you know, it was a long road back to this point. Remember, they were in the old Big East. Their friends leave them and start a new Big East conference. They get stuck in the American. They won a national title in the American, but things fell apart badly. Kevin Ollie had a bad ending with that UConn program. 
and they were down in the dumps. They go back to the Big East, join their old friends there, and they started to get into a rhythm, a little bit of rhythm of some sorts, but hadn't made a big splash yet. But they were clearly back on track. And then, boom, Danny Hurley gets this thing going, gets it rocking, and they're right back to the top. Here's some perspective, Tom. UConn has won now five national titles in the last 25 years. That is more than any other program in that stretch. More than Duke, more than Kansas, more than North Carolina, anybody. Five, and they've done it with three different head coaches, which is unheard of uh, to be able to do that as well. Um, UConn is, is something special. And, I mean, they might not fit the definition of a blue blood technically because, you know, blue blood status goes back to what you did all the way back when the game first developed, you know, in the in the early days. But UConn is a powerhouse and just as strong as anybody. And, and you know, it's, it's UConn's world and we're all kind of just living it. Oh, for sure is. You know, they're uh, kind of one of those teams that, you know, each and every year are there. And, and you know, they do have their down years, but they always – you know, figure out out a way to, uh, you know, end up making it back. And there's just, uh, it's, it's time to give UConn just as the whole program, it's time to give UConn their flowers. Right. UConn, you can, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> and, and their women's program obviously has been incredible with G- Gino Oriema too. I mean, that is, uh, that is the premier basketball school of college basketball period far and none men's and women's, uh, and Danny, you know, his brother got all the spotlight for all those years, uh, Bobby. And Bobby's done a decent job as the head coach of Arizona State. But I was happy for Danny to get his first and to have his moment. Um, that's a big deal for Danny Hurley. And that North Carolina, that uh, that UConn program, they're, they're not going anywhere. Uh, I think there's another national title in uh, Danny Her- Hurley's future there with that UConn program. Watch out. Um, you know, I know it sounds crazy. Bill Self, you know, said that uh, he's not retiring, that his health is good and he's in good shape. But, I mean, whenever Bill's ready to step aside, Danny Hurley might be my first phone call. I mean, he is he is that good. And this is one of the best turnarounds we've seen in in, in a long time of, of going from the bottom and going to the top and changing conferences and everything with that. I mean, uh you UConn's something else. And in their future, we're going to talk more about this with Bo coming up later in the football fix. But, Tom, I was very impressed with San Diego State with their fan base, the way they showed out. And we know the money they're foot, putting into their football program and everything here, too, with the new stadium. UConn's been linked to some Big 12 rumors. They want full-time membership. Um, Big 12's more interested in them as a basketball-only member. But the football program got a lot better this year with Jim Mora. We know what their basketball program is, too. Um, I, I don't know what the end game is, but UConn and San Diego State both, I thought, made very impressive cases of why they belong uh, among the Power Five in, uh, in college athletics. Uh, if they can work out the financials, I would be very, very open to the idea of either one of those schools in the Big 12. Oh, yeah. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you know, 
you know, obviously you're happy if you're a San Diego fan, San Diego State fan for your basketball program to to get that far and to to be, you know, where they're at in the in the grand scheme of things in terms of their size to make it that far and really they they uh cashed that check at couldn't have been more of a perfect time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um we're going to talk a uh, semi-NFL draft uh, coming up in just a bit when Keegan Renault joins us. Uh, Coach Bo standing by as well, as we mentioned. Uh, but before we get into that, Tom, uh, now that college basketball is over, we uh, we start to get ready for the NBA playoffs, which will be getting here soon. Got the play-in tournament as well. I want to spend a little bit of time today talking about uh, the NBA. Let's start in the uh, the Western Conference and the uh, the playoff picture there as we're taping this, the uh, the play-in tournament situation, the Lakers at the 7, New Orleans at the 8, Minnesota at the 9, OKC at the 10, uh, with the tiebreaker over Dallas uh, at this point. Uh, you know, Dallas, they made the move for Kyrie Irving, and it has been downhill ever since. Uh is there a bit of more disappointment in the second half of the year than the Dallas Mavericks? I mean, this team before the Kyrie deal was going to be a five or six seed, and it has just been downhill ever since. Uh, I mean, and now the, the the Luka rumors are as hot as they've ever been to. This thing fell apart fast with the Mavs, Tom. Oh, I mean, yeah, you like, you know, the Mavs, as soon as they got Kyrie, even, even before, you know, on paper, a formidable team, and you know, kind of had some high hopes, I think, coming in. And then, like you said, you get Kyrie and, well, you know, this guy should be kind of the limit there. And, and Luke is a good enough player to to literally win you games by himself. You know, he's, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're a Mavs fan, you got to be, you know, increasingly worried about Luka leaving. Oh, yeah. You have to be. Uh, meanwhile, Oklahoma City, the team above them, Tom, th- this was this was not a year the Thunder were expected to be competitive. It was going to be another rebuilding year, and you know, try to get quality time for these uh, these young players and everything. And here they are. I mean, they're they're right there with with Dallas and Minnesota, New Orleans, the Lakers. These teams that are trying to win games, trying to make a title run. And they're in the thick of the the, the, the play-in tournament here. No, no one saw that coming. They're, the Thunder still have a ton of draft picks coming up, and they're way ahead of schedule right now. Yeah, definitely uh, definitely working out well for them, you know. Um, and, you know, we've seen teams, you know, essentially, you know, and it's not – it doesn't ever need to be said anyway. We saw it with the Rockets, though. So we've seen it with Orlando and – you know, we've seen the Cavs even do it, you know, and, and we've seen Minnesota do it or it's just multiple, you know, top five picks every for like five years straight. It seems like sometimes and hell the Thunder got a, you know, got a couple one that hasn't even played yet. Um, and there's been pictures circulating of Chet Holmgren looks like he's put on quite a bit of weight, good weight, you know, the muscle weight, um, Right. And so, hell, I mean, you know, at this point, Oklahoma City's kind of playing with the uh, house money. I mean, and well, and you watch that team too, and uh, kind of 
I mean, they fight, you know, it's not, it's no one's laying down. They're not just kind of going through the motions. Like everybody on that team, you know, balls out. And I, I think right now with the way it's going, I think, you know, before you saw maybe some people, you know, it was maybe the minority uh, of of the talk, but a lot of people were like, well, SGA doesn't fit our timeline. Let's just trade him and get him why stock, you know, get what he's got going for him, why stock's high. And, you know, obviously Oklahoma City didn't trade SGA and weren't really didn't seem like they were going to at all, despite what some people were saying. And right. uh, it's really panned out. Yeah. Uh, things have worked out really well for Oklahoma City. And, and I mean, I think if you're a Thunder fan, you just kind of enjoy what happens. If they make the playoffs, cool. If if they don't, the, uh, not the end of the world. I, I, I hate to sound content, Tom, but that that's how I feel. I'm like, I, I'm just, I'm just kind of happy to be here at this point, you know? So, yeah. I mean, if the Spurs are doing that well after, you know, their two bad seasons pretty much in a row coming up on, I'd be overjoyed. I mean, you'd, at that point, you got to be kind of happy for the ride, you know? Right. Exactly. The, ride, the ride's not as bad as it really could be. What about the Lakers here? 41 and 39. And the mainstream media keeps on clamoring, hey, they can put it together. They can win the West. Doesn't matter what seed they are. You know, if AD's healthy, watch out. Tom, one problem. When is AD healthy? Like, I'm I'm not putting anything towards betting on this, this Lakers team to stay healthy through a playoff series. I mean, I know people are really wanting them to play, you know, Denver in the first round. And there's already folks saying, oh, they would upset Denver. They'd pull that off like – um, I, I'm not, I'm not banking on it. Like I, I understand the talents there, but uh, they've been dealing with the same problem for two or three years. They can't put it all together. I, I'm not, I'm not buying the, the Lakers right now. No, neither am I. And, you know, you mentioned at the time that we're recording this hell, the, uh, the Clippers beat them tonight. Um, so in the Clippers, I think, move up and take their spot because they had the same record. And so now I believe the Clippers have that tie break. This is just, you know, and, and I'm looking at the box score. LeBron dropped 33. It's not like he's slouching around. He's literally doing everything he, he can. And it's still, you know, still not enough. And, uh, you know, anybody that thinks that the late, uh, so this is going to be on to watch him, watch him win it. And this is going to be cold takes exposed. Um, but yeah, no, they're not, there's no win there. It's, it's so funny to hear people say, Oh, well, the Lakers put it together. Watch out. No, no, they can't. They're not going to, they're just like, uh, I'll take that bet right now. You know? Right. Like, like there's no way. Yeah. And, uh, golden state coming off the championship. I expected more. I, I would, I'll say this though. Tom, even though Golden State hasn't been impressive this year, like they actually do know how to win, and they have been through these scenarios and and have a coach that I can trust and everything. Like I, I'm, I would bet be more willing to bet on Golden State, even with this whole stuff with Andrew Wiggins and everything, 
being more likely to figure it out and come together than I would this Laker team right now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I mean, even all the way down to the coaching, I mean, it's Steve Kerr and it's, you know, still Steph Curry and that core is there. It hasn't really changed a whole lot. Jordan Poole's a great player. I mean, these they've played together. You know, that, that team's like not just pieced together at the trade deadline like the Lakers have been. Right. Uh, there's – I mean, that's uh, – you know, that's one team I – it's kind of one of those teams you would never want to play because when they get hot, then, you know, those, that's that's one of the teams that could – say oh you know maybe not the best regular season but get hot at the right time and you have Steph Curry well that's a perfect recipe for uh them pulling something like that and, and winning right uh meanwhile Phoenix six wins in a row they got KD back uh and everything uh this Phoenix team at 44 and 35 and and getting hot at the right time, uh, starting to figure it out here. I, I would not be wanting to face the, uh, the 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 Phoenix Suns right now, Tom. That that's a dangerous team, I think. And and you know, much has been made about you know Joker's lack of playoff success and everything. That that is a a perfect trap, I think, for the Joker and the the Denver that Denver team is to be going up against Phoenix in that second round potential. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I mean, no, I mean, I mean, Phoenix just in general. I mean, sure they traded the farm for Kevin Durant, but you know, if Kevin Durant's healthy and like that's not a, that's not there's there's uh there's other teams I'd rather face than than the Suns coming in the first round. <laughs> right. Uh, let's move over to uh, the the Eastern Conference here. Um, Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly, Tom. There, there's a lot less parity in the East compared to the West. You know, we, we we got a number of teams that can win the West. The East right now, I feel like it's those three uh, are kind of separating themselves. I, I'm I know Cleveland's had a, a good year at fifty and thirty, but uh, I'm not I'm not all in on, on Cleveland yet. Even with Donovan Mitchell and everything, like I I feel more confident about Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly. What do you think about that top group in the East? Yeah, I've been watching Milwaukee here lately just because I feel like they've been on more. Um, but I've been watching them play, and they, you know, at the time we're recording this, locked up the top seed tonight. Um, so, you know, the uh, road to the championship runs through Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, you know what? The way they play uh, and the way they have been playing, this isn't just uh, – this isn't obviously new. The Bucks have been good, but uh, man, it's a that's a well-oiled machine. But you could say the same thing. I, I like uh, I like what Boston's doing too. But man, it's at this point like it's uh, if you're a Bucks fan, you got to be thinking, all right, it's time for the next one. Right, right. Uh, and then uh, you know with Philly with with Embiid there. Uh, what what do you think his chances are of, of getting that MVP instead of uh, instead of Joker here? Uh, you know I think they're they're not bad. I know I think they played like last week, and I believe Embiid sat, and then somebody they they kind of came out and said, "Well, there you have it." Since Embiid didn't play against Joker, like 
they kind of just wrote it off and was like Embiid essentially just conceded it in a way, which ah, maybe he did. Maybe he did, but I'm I'm still not a hundred percent positive that it, you know, I I wouldn't call it you couldn't just say, Oh, it's wrapped up. I mean, there's still games left and uh yeah, I would if I had to put my money, I still I would probably still say probably the Joker, but it really is deserved from either one of those players. Uh looking at some of the other teams in the East, uh the Knicks uh have been playing some pretty decent basketball as of late at that five spot. How the hell is Brooklyn? No one's left. They lost KD, Kyrie, uh, you know, the, the moves they've made. They're sitting at the sixth seed at 44 and 36. How, how did it not fall apart in Brooklyn uh, with with the, with the everything that went down? Uh, I mean, t- to me, I, I'm very surprised to see Brooklyn still hanging on to that, that sixth spot right now, Tom. Hey, maybe when you get rid of the big personalities, maybe it works out better for them. I mean, hell – Michael Bridges is coming to his own. Mikhail Bridges, what you know, I should get that name right since we share a last name, but Spencer uh, Yeah, I got it. It's my cousin. Um, um, but definitely a big fan of his. Um, and you know, I'm sure he's he's gotta have be having a chip on his shoulder. He gets traded from a championship team. They haven't obviously won the championship yet. He's in a great position. Kind of as like uh, obviously like maybe the third guy really, and then he gets traded to Brooklyn and the rest you know, and into what seems like just a shit show, uh, and then he's been he's been balling he's been making a name for himself he looks like an all star, right, uh, and then the the bottom tier the play in uh, teams there, um, you know. I look at, you know, the Bulls have been disappointing all year. One of the most disappointing teams. I think Billy Donovan is about to be on his way back to college basketball soon. Um, Toronto, the Nick Nurse era might be ending. He might be looking for better work because, uh, you know, they, they, they've just run out of talent there, and, and there's only so much you can do in Toronto. Atlanta, you know, it's been a mess there this past season, uh, you know, bringing in Quinn Snyder and everything. Meanwhile, Miami, Miami's interesting to me, Tom, because with the talent they have on that Miami team, and remember they went to the NBA Finals back in 2020 as a sixth seed. I'm uh, I'm fascinating. It, it, fascinating to see what that Miami team, if, it, it, if that is a – that is a very good seven seed potential. I would not be wanting to face the Miami Heat right now. No, and you know what? With uh, they have some good talent, obviously on that roster, and you know Jimmy Butler is still, you know, arguably one of the better players in the NBA. Um, you know, he hasn't doesn't seem like he's falling off. Um, and and you know what? Any team like that team being coached by Eric, coached by Eric Spolstra. You know, if you get in, you you know what? Eric Spolstra doesn't get enough credit, um, I feel like. And I'm sure he had LeBron and, you know, the, the Heatles. But, um, hell, the, the, the coaching job he's done after LeBron has, I still don't feel like, has been talked about enough. I mean, he's he's one of these, a top, I don't know, maybe top four coach in the NBA, in my opinion. I agree. I'm with you. So, there's a look uh, around the NBA uh, with the uh, play-in tournament here coming up and the playoffs to follow. 
uh, with everything on uh, that front. We'll continue to talk NBA uh, each and every week here on the show, uh, leading up all the way to the NBA Finals and, and after that. So uh, stay tuned for more NBA coverage here on the Jones Sport. Up next, uh, we're going to be joined by Keegan Renault as he'll talk NFL draft. And uh, Coach Bo going to stop by. We'll also come back at the end with our uh, Tom Fulry story of the week. Stay tuned for that. Don't go anywhere. Joining us now here at the Jones Sport this week, please do welcome back into the program from RPM Data. It is Keegan Renault who joins us as we're talking all things about the NFL draft, which is uh, coming up in just a few weeks from right now as Keegan joins us right now. Keegan, always a, a pleasure to uh, talk to you, man. Uh, draft time. Uh, I mean, you got to be a football nerd to geek out of this stuff. And I, I know that you and I are in the same boat here. I mean, just looking at these players, I mean, we've been evaluating them for a long time and almost time to get these names called here. Uh, what, what's kind of your initial takeaways from uh, this year's class? It's certainly one that every single year, you know, you try to gauge where the heart of the draft is going to be. I think Quezzy, I'm going to not say his last name here because I'll screw it up. The the new GM of the Minnesota Vikings and the video he did last year, I think it explains it perfectly. Like all these teams are trying to estimate where the value is going to be in a draft. So when you look at the 23 draft class specifically, there's not a lot at the top. You get first two, you know, first four or five guys that are going to be on the board for the, a lot of these teams. Sure. They're probably worth the value at the top of the draft. But then the price points when you get to the, you know, the draft slot and what they're worth and what those signing bonuses are worth, value is going to shift really. I think you're going to see a lot of these teams here as you get closer to the draft. You're going to hear a lot of smoke about a lot of teams trying to trade down to that 80 to 120 range. There's going to be a lot of players in that range that I think are going to be very valuable, specifically at those price points. Um, and we'll so we'll see. But it's, a, it's one of those interesting classes where it's not it, – it's – it's top heavy, but it's a very small group um, and a group that a lot of people have discussed with the CJ Strouds and the Bryce Youngs of the world. Anthony Richardson, quarterback from Florida, making a run for everyone's money here over the last two, three months. Uh, Will Anderson um, and, and obviously Jalen Carter, which I'm sure you'll have some questions about here uh, in just a second. But it's it's one of those drafts that it, it's somewhat top heavy at the top. It's a small group, but then there's a big wide group between pick eight to 50 where I think, you know, you get pick 40, you could probably find a guy as valuable there as you may find a pick eight. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right about that. Uh, there's not a significant drop off uh, from that point forward. And I look at this draft, the, the top two players here, Will Anderson and Jalen Carter, I think are the two best players in this draft besides the extracurricular stuff with Jalen Carter, just talent and skill level wise. I think those two are far and away the top players in this draft. And if we were just drafting players on talent, Keegan, I think those two without question would go one and two. But some of these teams are so desperate at quarterback. You got the off-the-field stuff with Jalen Carter here. I mean, what what should be, I, I think if you're if you were the Bears, for example, uh, if they wouldn't have traded back, the pick would have been easy, right? One of these two, and you feel like you're in good shape. Instead, these teams are so desperate that they're reaching so far. Like Anthony Richardson, I'm sorry. Anthony Richardson, top five? That, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. I, I don't see it. He's one of those interesting players, man. I, I think, you know, with the baseball background that I have, that's the best way that I can explain this. 
you know, you get you hear college coaches in baseball talk about all the time. You get a high school guy that throws 92, 94, big body, long, can fill out his frame. Oh, I can fix him. He may not, he may not throw a lot of strikes, but he he does every now and again. And the talent is absurd. But it's all just getting him to the right situation in the right place. And I think Richardson is in. He he's one of those guys that I think the base and the foundation is there. The ability that he has in the pocket, the arm strength, the arm talent at times, all phenomenal. But it's just when you're playing quarterback specifically in the NFL, those windows are a little bit tighter. Your decisions have to be a little bit quicker. And he's just one of those guys that your team's really going to have to get, you know, give him some time to figure it out at that level. And you do have some systems in the NFL that are, have really simplified this. And I know a lot of people point to the Shanahan system on what they've been able to do, no matter who's been a quarterback the last four or five years. There are systems like that in the league that I think are certainly can fit that mold. You know, I, I think a teams like Tennessee, I, I know a lot of talk with them and potentially moving up for Anthony Richardson, Minnesota under Kevin O'Connell, I think could be a, certainly another really good spot for a guy like him. But again, those teams are going to have to make a move up here. Arizona. We'll see what's happening there. Um, you know, I think, I think everybody kind of here heading into the final two weeks down the home stretch here, all eyes on what they're going to do at number three um, because they can probably get a lot of value there. And if you're the Indianapolis Colts and you're sitting there at number four, you may have to make a move up and overspend to get to the number three pick if you want to get your guy. So, you know, I think the other part with the quarterbacks this year is I, I'm a, I've been a big C.J. Stroud guy. I think he's phenomenal. I think he's the guy that makes the most seamless transition. An NFL version of Dak Prescott is kind of what I've said from the get-go since last summer. I, I think in terms of how he moves in the pocket, his accuracy, and he still has those decisions, specifically like we saw from Dak last year, where there's still those one to two to three, just what are you doing? Um, decisions in the game, and I think we saw that, and a lot of people point to the Iowa game for C.J. Stroud this last year, and that's certainly true. One of the other things with the quarterbacks this year is like, if I stack these guys up, amongst the quarterbacks in the past four or five draft classes not last year's was obviously not very good so if you could just eliminate last year's like where do these guys stick up with the joe burrows of the world where do they stick up with the bakers and the josh allens and and all those guys i know a lot of people are making the josh allen um you know anton richardson comp uh, not comp but in terms of the situation that they were in it, it again it's just one of those peculiar positions where a lot of teams just kind of try to get take as many bites at the apple as they can and see if it tastes good at some point. And, you know, we'll see. But uh, I obviously, you know, we didn't mention Will Levis amongst that conversation. I think some sanity has finally prevailed over the last month in that process. But I'm going to be interested to see if someone's going to, you know, make a move up to number three and go get Anthony Richardson. Because if not, I, I think the Arizona Cardinals could sit there in a really good position and get, you know, one of the best players in this draft and Will Anderson. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think you, you make a very good point. And, you know, the quarterback class, you mentioned how much you like Stroud and Bryce Young is being looked at so well, too. And obviously this this class looks better than uh, than last year's class by a mile. But even with that said, uh, Keegan, I, I think about this. Like a team like Seattle, you got a good placeholder in Geno Smith for now. Do you really want to, when, when you're in – a potential win now situation, you know, if you're in their case, or maybe if you're even Las Vegas, let's say with just Jimmy G who can be a placeholder, 
when you look at next year and the fact that Caleb Williams, Drake May, and maybe Quinn Ewers, who knows, whatever, I like next year's quarterback class even more than this year's class by a bit. I would take Caleb Williams or Drake May over anyone in this year's class. For me, if I'm a team that's got a placeholder like a Geno or a or a Jimmy G or something like that, why draft a quarterback this year and not wait and find the guy next year and, and go draft at other needs and positions? What What is the rush to the judgment to have a, a quarterback sit on your bench that's not ready to play and use that first round pick right now? What, what what's what's going on there, Keegan? I think Seattle, Detroit, I think is amongst that conversation yes. as well. Ten- Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill at 11. I, I mentioned Tennessee again. I would just keep a very close eye on what they're going to do over the next few weeks. You know, I don't think it's an awful thing. You know, if you're going to two, two, two things here, one, Andy Richardson's talent is otherworldly, right? It's just a matter of honing those skills in and, and making him be the best quarterback he can possibly be. And that running aspect of what Richardson brings to the table, some sets somewhat of a floor. We've seen that with Jalen Hurts with the Eagles, and we'll see how sustainable Hurts' game is up there in Philadelphia. But again, this is one of those situations where if you're going to go get a quarterback and you sit here and you say, okay, I'm going to go get Caleb Williams or I'm going to get Drake May, well, you've got to finish first or second next year and and most of the worst records in the NFL. Seattle's not in position to do that. Um with the talent that they have on their roster. Um, Detroit is primed to make the playoffs next year in their division. And Tennessee, again, has a good enough roster where they could probably win some games too. So taking a chance on a Richardson, having him sit for a year, and then getting three years on a rookie contract could be very valuable to somebody. And then I guess I'll throw this out there. I I don't think there's much of a – I don't think there's much of a conversation with the number one pick next year. And I think teams are starting to shape up their decisions to go get Caleb Williams if they're ready to tank. Yeah, I I think so. And I mean, maybe you have a situation where if you're Seattle or Detroit and you trade back and, you know, pocket a pick in addition to the pick you get next year and potentially have capital move up. But if you're in that one spot to get Caleb Williams, uh, it's going to be taken. Quite the convention. Whoever, whoever has the number one pick next year is not moving it, unless they don't need a quarterback, right? But like very, and even if they do, I I think we're sitting here in a situation where he's going to be number one from point. I mean, once the draft is done this year, from day one, Caleb Williams will be the number one pick in next year's class. The word from the NFL is about what we think of the kid. Um, here, the people that follow college football on a day to day basis, and so I I don't think there's going to be much of a conversation over the next twelve months. I mean, like, let's say that you had the draft order next year, um, what you had this year, you know, if the Bears were forced to choose between Fields or Caleb Williams, I think the Bears probably do a different decision. They'd probably go with Caleb Williams rather than what they did this year of of, of trading down and, and you know, going with Fields uh, over Young and Stroud. I would agree with that. I I don't think there's much of a conversation there. And then the other part too, which I think is the conversation with fields is just resetting that rookie contract. You know, these teams are just, that's the way they're operating right now until, you know, they do something with it, maybe in the next CBA, but we'll see, you know, I I think teams kind of like what they they're able to do on these rookie contracts. And then you get potentially, if you get the right guy, you can sign them to these deals that Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are doing that, 
will be well below market value for what their worth is to the team. I mean, what Kansas City has for Patrick Mahomes over the next six to eight years, he has helped generate so much extra cap room um, because of the contract he took. So right. it's uh, it's going to be – it's it, again, I, I think we're looking at a situation where if you put – Bryce Young and CJ Stroud amongst Drake May and Caleb Williams and extra draft class. Like I, I'm unsure that those two guys should be the first. And if you had to do it by just overall talent. And I think you mentioned this, uh, are those guys the first and second picks in the, in a draft? Like I'm, I'm unsure about that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. Keegan Renault joining us here on Jones sport this week, uh, RPM data talking all things, NFL draft, uh, the Jalen Carter factor uh, of what's gone on since his season ended and won the national championship. Um, what's your level of concern right now uh, of the way things have lingered? Uh, you, you think this uh, this is a big deal? Uh, is this stock gonna gonna tumble too much? Uh, he went from you know when the Bears had the pick, it seemed like he was gonna be number one. Now. We're looking at what, maybe five at the earliest with Seattle. What's your thoughts on uh, that situation? Well, my personal thoughts is I can probably fix the guy, right? Um, but the the thoughts of what's actually happening and it's what's going on right now, man, he has not done himself a lot of favors. And it's not just the incident that happened with the death over there in Athens. It's all the other things. I mean, the stuff you're hearing from McShay and those guys about his work ethic and being a good teammate, like that stuff that's starting to percolate a little bit more in my space over the next, over the last really month and a half, two months. And so that does concern me again. I'm not the billionaire owner that's about to sign off on a check and pay a guy that kind of money. So now for me, it's a really easy decision. Um, But for those guys, they certainly have something to like, I mean, you had a guy from, I believe Georgia, uh, an offensive tackle played for Tennessee. The name's escaping me right now. I mean, he gets into the gets into summer, gets into mini camp, gets in the season, and he just basically quits playing football. And like that, when you're making that kind of investment at that part of the draft, you have to be really sure about those decisions. And so, I think he hit. I think he hit it right. At earliest five to Seattle. At the, his floor is ten, though. I and I think Daniel Jeremiah with NFL Network. Um, kind of spilled the beans on that, but that's sort of been the word since the combine is like, if you're going to draft Jalen Carter and you want him, you either got to trade before Philadelphia at 10, or you're about to pair up Jordan Davis with Jalen Carter once again. And that would be an absolutely terrifying uh, interior defensive line for Philadelphia for the next three to four years. Oh yeah. I mean, those two teams in particular, Seattle and Philly, you know, Philly lost a, a couple of big pieces off their NFC championship team. But, I mean, they go right back into the fold with Jalen Carter getting younger. And and you look at a Seattle who was so bad defensively last year, and you plug Jalen Carter in there, he becomes an instant starter. You bring in Draymond Jones as well. That, that, that'd be huge for, for both these teams if either one can pull them off. It would be. It would be a huge coup for really anybody. I mean – you put on Jalen Carter's tape. It's one of the most impressive things that I've watched in the last three to four years. I mean, the guy moves like an edge rusher and has the power of an interior defensive lineman and the size and length for it. So, you know, I think when you look at this draft, like, or is there an, even a guy, you know, you, you try to find, I think this is a perfect example, you know, Kalijah Kansi, the defensive tackle from Pittsburgh, who's been getting a lot of love over the last three to four months. 
you try to find guys maybe later in the draft. If, you, if you're not fully in love with Kalija Kanti and you can know you can get a guy in round four, five, six, seven, at similar body types and plays similar, a team may pass on that and wait and try to recruit that value in the aggregate, right? But Jalen Carter, there ain't nothing like that in this draft. There may not be anything like it last year. There may not be like anything in the future either. And so it'll, uh, we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening with that. But that's, uh, again, I'm not the one signing the checks on that, Tyler. So I, I it's hard for me to really say what, a, you know, but I can just, I can sense the fear from people in my neck of the woods of it would be hard to invest money into that kit. And so we'll see what ends up happening. That's fair. That's, that's a good assessment. Uh, what about uh, Will Anderson here? This is a guy that uh, I think going into this past season was the number one player on everyone's boards. Uh, you know, he had a lot of hype coming out as a first-team All-American last year, and then he did it again this past season, was the SEC Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, what do you think he brings to the table? What kind of impact can can he have right away in the NFL? Major impact. You know, I think it may be a guy that does take – some time a little bit just because he man the position he played just doesn't typically exist in the nfl right like that stand up two two point stance um and i know again at alabama they run it i mean this is a guy that can play outside linebacker he can be on the edge he can play it inside linebacker he can he can do anything that you really want him to do he's athletic enough to do that i just those guys you know, we saw Micah Parsons come in and just blow, just blow everything, all the expectations that were on him, blow, blow through the door on that, right? And I think he can have a similar impact. I just, I think it's a guy that it may take a little bit of time here to get rolling, and then once he does and he gets used to it, uh, I think he's a guy that's going to play for a long, long, long time. You know, I think, you know, if going from last year to this year, you know, a guy that probably should have been number one. Everybody talked about him being number one in last year's draft class. His production and numbers really didn't change. Right. And so, you know, if you're in Arizona, you're sitting there at three, you're sitting there in a really good spot. Even if you trade with Indianapolis at four, you still likely get a Will Anderson at four. And the difference in pay between the first pick and the fourth pick is huge. Um, And so it would be a pretty big coup for Arizona or whoever ends up getting them. Keep an eye, though. There's a lot of talk about some teams having Tyree Wilson higher than him. I'm, I doubt it. I I don't think it's real, but uh, we'll see what ends up happening here in a couple weeks. Yeah, uh, and and Wilson's uh, stock has certainly risen quite a bit uh, within the last couple months. Uh, let me ask you about, about a guy that you and I have seen a whole lot in the uh, the Big Twelve Conference. B. John Robinson uh, projected to be a top 15 pick, which is something we don't talk about very often at the running back position anymore. Uh, what do you make of Bijan? Is he the the generational talent that he's being built up to be here? This is a guy that somehow, someway got better each and every year. Like, he was really good as a freshman, and he was exceptional as a sophomore, And then he got way better in 2022. I mean, a guy that in terms of the vision, in terms of understanding the blocking schemes that are happening in front of him, how to read linebackers, how to time runs right. And then his athleticism and his ability to explode out of his breaks. I think it's, I I mean, again, I, I come and I know what the data says is about drafting running backs in the first round. 
probably not. I probably wouldn't take them, you know, top 15 to 20 picks, but you're saying they're a team late in the first round. Um, you know, I think again, just kind of talking about that too, you know, the average running back, if I, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but the average running back in the NFL, I think is making like 3.3 million AAV a year. And that's what the price point is for a first round running back. Right. And so like, that's really tough if you're specifically a GM that's trying to utilize the cap in, in the right way. And so it's hard. You're talking to a guy that runs a data company. And so it's hard to justify that cost. But I think the talent's unbelievable. Um, I think this is a guy that catching the ball in the backfield, uh, being able to you know be a three down back in the NFL, I think he's made for it. And Certainly, I hope a team's not going to sit there and try to use him, you know, trying to get him, you know, 20 carries a game. Like, I don't know if he's necessarily built for that, but is this a guy that can run the ball 12 to 15 times a game in his rookie season and catch six to eight passes out of the backfield? I think he can. And I think he can help a a team that's a contender right now can certainly take a guy like him um, out of the backfield. But again, the price point is just so important there at the running back position. And so, you know, I think you'll see some teams hesitant. But some of these old school front offices probably won't have an issue taking him in the top fifteen to twenty picks. Well, and and, and it seems like uh, Keegan that the NFL within the last couple of years has had a renewed emphasis on running the football. We saw that with the 49ers. We saw that with the Eagles. Um, you know, there's it, it's quite a, a contrast when you look around the league of the Chiefs and Bills and Bengals want to throw it all day and throw it as many times as they can. Meanwhile, you got teams like San Francisco and Philly who, and, and I'd add even like Baltimore to that mix too, that you have to have good running backs and elite runners. Uh, I mean, somebody like Bijan goes to the right place. This is a guy that is going to be uh, utilized immediately and an instant impact player, especially if he's in a run-heavy system like that. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I, I you maybe look at a team like, oh, I don't know, Seattle at twenty. I think would certainly be interesting. I know the running back, you know, room is somewhat there. Um, the Chargers at twenty-one, you know, with Austin Eckler and his situation, could certainly be interesting. You know, I'm again. I, I think the running backs do matter, right? Yes. Like I want to say that first and foremost. They. They do matter. Now, again, I think the conversation is, is at what price point do they matter? And I think Bijan's a guy that, you know, Joe Mixon's value is starting to hit a decline already, right? He gets that massive extension, um, and he's already kind of hit his peak in the NFL. And so, like, it's tough. You know, a guy gets a certain amount of carries, and I think there's some data that backs it up that a guy gets to a certain amount of carries, and he hits his decline. And so... You know, again, I think a guy that's been able to watch Bijan develop over the last couple of years, you know, I, I think he's certainly worth every penny he's going to get paid in the NFL. But I, I, I understand the hesitancy. You know, I think, again, like there's some teams there that could certainly take him. I don't think Philadelphia at 10 would do it. Um, we'll see. Like Dalvin Cook, his situation in Minnesota is definitely one to monitor. Minnesota's in there at 23. You know, I, that's talk just mentioned some teams 20 to 23 i don't think would be crazy for someone to take a chance on him there that price point's probably a little high but again i i think this is a guy that is absolutely worth it it's just again to to what 
to what point is he worth it to these teams? It'll be interesting to see how they view him. Uh, let's talk receiver position now. Seems like that there's four receivers that look to be locks to be first-round picks with Jackson Smith and Jigba, Quentin Johnston, Zay Flowers, and Jordan Addison. And if I pulled up four different mock drafts right now, Keegan, they all four might have a different order or a different receiver being the first one off the board. How would you evaluate those top receivers and which ones do you like best? You know, the receiver position this year, one, you mentioned four first round wide receivers. I I would be pretty shocked by that. Um, I think the NFL views the wide receivers in this draft class a lot like we did in the fall where yeah, are these guys really good? But is there a true wide receiver one in this draft class that's worth it? Probably not. And, you know, I, I've always been a big Jackson Smith and Jigba fan coming from his high school days out in uh, East Texas, Ohio State coming into the state of Texas and landing another top receiver, believe well, believe it or not. Um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's phenomenal. Smooth route runner, very competitive catch point, yak ability. Uh, Quinn Johnson's got some funny stuff in his routes. Um, you know, specifically working inside is a problem for him at times. Like, I think all these guys like have obvious flaws to their game. Like Jackson Smith and Jigba's top end speed obviously was a huge question. You know, his 40 time, I believe like four low four fives, you know, again, just doesn't speak to him having that home run ability that maybe we thought he had in college at the time. Again, and Quentin Johnston showing up at 6'2", opposed to, I think he was listed at 6'4", at TCU. Like, is he a true outside guy? Because he a guy that's going to have to work on in the inside of the NFL, right? Like, I, I think these all these guys have some obvious flaws to their game. Um, but this is another year, though. I think wide receivers, you know, I was mentioning earlier, some of these picks in the 80 to 120 range could be very valuable to these teams. I think receiver's one of them. Um, and so we'll... Uh, We'll see what ends up happening. I mentioned off the top that I don't think there's going to be four first round receivers. I mean, I, Tyler, I would be shocked if uh, there ends up being four receivers taken in the first round in this upcoming draft. Um, but a guy like Zay Flowers, again, elite speed that plays in the NFL. <laughs> Uh, but again, I, I think you can find receivers in this draft class, like a Marvin Mims out of Oklahoma, a guy that I know you and I are both very familiar with. Um, uh, Cedric Tillman from Tennessee is a guy we really, really like at RPM. And so, you know, I think as we get into the day, late day two of the draft, like there's gonna be some receivers taken that are going to be, you know, maybe the same high end wide receiver two value in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, Mims is what going to be fourth, fifth round guy. And I mean, I, I, I see somebody that looks like a carbon copy of Elijah Moore right there, you know, and I would love to have. Uh, Marvin Mims on my team, you know, uh, person. I think that he can play anywhere. So, yeah, you make a good point. Like Jalen Hyatt's been forgotten about, uh, and he's another one that could have a lot of potential. So, yeah, it's a very good point there. Uh, the tight end position is getting a lot of love, and it seems like there could be two or three tight ends selected in the first round potentially. What I find fascinating, too, good year for tight ends, uh, Keegan, but the best tight end in the country is not even in the draft. That's true. And Brock Bowers from Georgia. Um, you know, I think the the tight ends this year, the versatility they have is phenomenal. And I think that's the reason why you're seeing a lot of love. Like, you know, like guys like Dalton Kincaid from Utah, um, you know, Michael Meyer from Notre Dame and uh, and all these guys. They they have a lot of 
value in the passing game. And that's obviously where the NFL's heading. And again, I'm talking about price points here. Tight ends, you can get them kind of for how much they're worth to an offense in 2023. You can get them at a pretty good price. And so you're seeing guys right now um, that could that are worth that, like Luke Musgrave from Oregon State. And then a guy that we obviously you've seen me talk about him quite a bit that we really love at RPM is in Tucker Craft. I, I think that guy has, you know, he's going to be taken middle of the middle of day two to end of, maybe end of day two. And I think he's got a lot of value there. And so I think this tight end class and why you're seeing a lot of these guys get pushed up to the top of the draft is just the versatility they have. They can line up on the line of scrimmage. They, they can line up uh, in the slot. Um, they can do a lot of different things, you know. And then the guy I did mention, Darnell Washington, the big guy from Georgia, you know, more of your traditional tight end. I was pretty shocked by some of his testing scores. That's not what his tape says, but we'll see. You know, I we'll see who ends up, you know, taking a stab on him, but he's definitely more close to that true tight end type that we've seen, you know, still have some value in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Uh, Keegan, before we let you go, what's, uh, we, we, we mentioned in the past, uh, you know, you, you were around that Oklahoma program for a long time. You're, not too far away there in the Oklahoma City area. Just uh, what's the feeling in Norman these days coming off that uh, six-win season in year two of the Venables era here? Oh, well, fan base, are, you know, certainly, certainly saying here, hey, can't go six and six again. Um, you know, I think there is a little bit of pressure right now. You know, you go eight and four and you show some signs of improvement here and there, like you can sell that and give yourself some time. You go six and six for, you know, the worst record since 1998, by the way, I was two years old um, when they had that record. And so, you know, I, I think that there is some pressure involved in this season. I, I don't think you can show up to the Cotton Bowl and get beat 49 nothing again. I don't think you can show up to the Cotton Bowl and get beat by four touchdowns again, right? Like, I think people are going to start asking some serious, serious questions. And so, you know, I think the feeling around here is that Brent's still the right guy, that, you know, Coach Venables, is the defense is going to take a big, big bounce this year. But you know, certainly what the what the data says is a little bit different um, and kind of what they have. Should have a top 10, 15 offense right yet again. Again, entirely, if you would have told me last year that OU was going to have a top a top 10 offense and efficiency, I would have told you they would have gone 10 and 2, right? With the belief that the defense was going to get better under Brent Venables, but the defense got worse from 21 to 22. And the whole talk all of last season, oh, Alex Grinch this, oh, Alex Grinch that, and isn't that whatever it may be, but the defense got worse. And I know that a lot of people talked about the lack of talent, specifically up front. That excuse kind of, I don't know if there's room for that. Um, whenever you, you're Oklahoma and you still have more talent. You, you can't sit here and tell me that Oklahoma didn't have as much talent as a Kansas State that had a top 25 defense last year, an Iowa State that had a you know top 20 defense last year. You just can't. And and so, you know, I, I it's there's a lot of expectations at this place. There's a lot of expectations around here and they, they need to make a massive improvement this year. Their win total should be at nine, which I think is a respectable number with how weak their schedule is. But again, we, 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 everyone thought, well, I tried to tell as many people as possible that would listen that the big 12 was better last year, which it ended up being the best year in the big 12 since the early 2010s in terms of how deep the league was. That talent's gone. That Kansas State defense with all those guys up front and, and all that, they're gone. Iowa State, Will McDonald, MJ Anderson, they're gone. Um, Texas Tech, losing Tyree Wilson, gone. TCU, 
those guys gone, right? And so the Big 12 this year is a little weaker because you had guys graduate. These old guys with experience are now gone. And so I'm not going to sit here and say, like, the door's opening up for Oklahoma to make a big run here, a big bounce, but it's certainly shaping up to be whenever you have a schedule like they have. Yeah, and the four new schools aren't going to be quite ready, I think, for for Big 12 play. It's going to be an adjustment period. Watch uh, out for B- watch out for BYU. Just that's ooh. I'll throw that out there and on April fifth. You know I haven't been tweeting too much because I'm trying to not become the hot take engagement guy out there. <laughs> but uh, let's keep an eye on BYU for this upcoming fall. Okay, all right, um, and uh, good luck to uh, your Cardinals too. By the way, of uh, dealing uh, with them and their uh, circumstances uh, as of late. So you know it's uh. Nothing like having drama five games into a season, Tyler. That's uh, <laughs> that's just the cardinal way, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Keegan, where can people follow you and see uh, the work you guys are doing there at RPM Data? Yeah, we'll be posting some content over the next month of some of the work we've done behind the scenes over the last nine to 12 months with some of the agencies that we do work with that are our clients. And so you'll see that at, at RPM Data on Twitter, at Keegan Renault on Twitter, K-E-G-A-N-R-E-N-E-A-U. Trenton transfer portal opens up in 10 days. I'll be done completely with my data for the upcoming season by the end of the month in mid-May. Once the uh, win totals come out, because these odds makers are kind of like me looking at everything and they're going, man, there's going to be some new transfers going in and out. We need to make sure our data's right. We're not going to release any win totals. Um, So over the next month or so, you may see some more college football content out of me. Awesome. Gagan, appreciate the time as always. We'll talk again down the line. Thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. Have a good one. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. He's also the host of the Coach Bo Knows Podcast each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts, and he joins us right now. Bo, always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Uh, you know, when the WWE announcement uh, was finalized over the weekend, you're the first person I thought of, no cap, uh, Bo. <laughs> um, what a... I know that we usually talk, uh, you know, business stuff, yeah. whatever, but I-, I wanted to kind of direct our attention this week of just this investment that was made by Endeavor here. You talk about a life insurance policy. This is one right here. Uh, oh, $9 billion, uh for the WWE uh, and under the same umbrella as the UFC. Tell me what uh, your thoughts were of this uh, deal, this transaction. Uh, we knew the WWE was for sale. The Saudis were linked to it for a long time, but ultimately Endeavor gets involved here. This seems like a win for all parties involved. Yeah, you know, we've been talking about this on my podcast quite a bit because we do a lot of the sports business stuff there too. And I've been intrigued by this whole situation. Pardon me. I really thought that that Saudi investment group was going to be the ones who bought WWE because they would be able to give them the biggest paycheck. But the way, now that I've seen a little more, I saw that we first saw the... Uh, the rumor come out on Sunday, and then Monday we got the numbers and the stuff from Vince McMahon and from Endeavor's CEO. Uh, they were on CNBC talking about it. And when I saw the numbers, this was creative. I don't know if it's going to fly through regulators. Really? I do, I do think it will. I think the issue is going to be that the stock being purchased by Endeavor – 
is Vince McMahon's special stock. There's a special grade class of stock that owns most of the voting rights. That's how Vince McMahon's controlled the company since he went public back in 2002. Um, so he's selling those off. Basically, Vince McMahon is getting the equivalent of about $4 billion for his shares of the stock. It's four and a half, um, which is what he wanted. That's, that's the number he wanted for his shares. 49% of this new company will be held by WWE shareholders. So basically, the 35% that Vince has got is being bought out. The other 15 or I think 16% technically is being purchased by Endeavor, who's then spinning this off as its own company. That'll be the UFC and WWE. I think now, as far as like competition wise, like you see, like the we always had the issues with the Sprint mergers back in the day. If you were like a NASCAR fan, you remember how it was Sprint and Nextel, all those things. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was always issues with that. I don't think that will be an issue here because, I mean, there's other competition out there with Bellator and AEW and things like that. But what I do think is going to be an issue is how they're splitting up the stock. It may not be um, noted as the best. There's already a lawsuit coming. There's a group in Minnesota. That's suing in a class action lawsuit on behalf of shareholders. But if the shareholders get a higher price than that stock is currently being run at, they'll be fine, which they will. It'll be slightly higher than where it was at. I think when we checked before we came on, I checked earlier today, it was like $98 a share. I expect it to be around $100 a share, which is higher than it traded at any time other than the last quarter in the last two years. So, I suspect it's going to go through, but there's a lot of like, there's a lot of nerd stuff involved in this. And I find all that stuff fascinating. We will definitely be talking about that on my podcast this week. Um, Ellen and I'll be getting all over that. So one of the things that I heard about this move of why they're doing this now uh, was that where the WWE was at, they would not be able to do some of the stuff that Endeavor is going to spend in money, the money be able to do for another 10 plus years or so. With that said, do you think, I know Vince is going to be more involved, even more involved, even though he's not the owner anymore, uh, the majority owner anymore. Do you think Endeavor will put out a better product than what we're seeing currently with the WWE? And what's this mean for their media rights deals coming up? Okay. Two questions there. Um, and there's actually three answers to two questions. One, yes, Vince McMahon is back in charge. Anybody tells you differently just doesn't know. He is going to be the CEO or the chairman of the board of this new company, and he's going to report directly to the CEO of Endeavor because the Endeavor is going to be the majority shareholder now. Uh, they've also given there's a new board, new board of directors. Six of those spots are owned by members from Endeavor, five from WWE, including Vince McMahon. So. He doesn't have to listen to anybody else but his board of directors. And he's got enough people with Endeavor himself, a couple of appointees he'll probably put in there to be okay. Um, so if you're a fan and you like what Vince does, you'll like the product. If you're a fan who doesn't like what Vince does, you're not going to like the product moving forward. It's going to be what Vince's vision has been and will be. So if you like what they've done in the last you know, 9 to 12 months, it's all going to change all going to revert back to what Vince was doing a year ago. And we've already started to see that. As far as the media rights, 
that's where it gets interesting. This is why I didn't think a deal like this would go down, is because we've already seen that some of the negotiations with Comcast and with Fox, they're not offering as much money in the new proposals as they are currently getting in those media rights, they being WWE. Uh, we've heard rumors that Fox is losing upwards of $60 million a year on the WWE. It's easily replaceable with some other kind of product that could be both cheaper and more effective. Uh, it just has been a loss leader for WWE, for, for Fox to use WWE. Um, Comcast, you know, fortunately for WWE, there's such a long relationship with their USA Network stuff, with everything now on Peacock. I suspect that will be just as big as it is currently, if not bigger. But the rights to the shows on Friday nights, that's going to have to go somewhere else. And I could see, frankly, I can see UFC making the deal because now that the UFC connection is here, I can see this end up on ESPN or ESPN2 or some different place. I, I wouldn't be surprised if on ABC, but it won't be at the price that Fox was paying. It's going to be Endeavor saying, let's give you, the people who are working with UFC, more content. Right. and Which I did not see that coming. I, I think this sale has more to do with cashing one man out and him getting his chips off the table than anything else. I agree. I think so. And UFC and WWE together, I mean, they're going to be attached at the hip now. Whether yeah. they say oh, so yeah. or not, I think they're going to be so tied up between the crossover between the two. If you're a, if you, from this day forward, if you're a UFC fan, you're a WWE fan, and vice versa. I mean, they are. I, I think so. They are on the well, same page, same universe. So here's what's good about it. You're right. If you're advertising them together, so if you're at the, you're watching UFC and you see Ronda Rousey. Roman Reigns, those kind of people, the big names WWE, and they're at the events. Then you might, then you go, what, what are they doing over there? I haven't watched this since I was a kid. But then it raises the kids who watch WWE into becoming UFC fans. Right. So that's the other piece. We've all been wondering where's the actual value in WWE other than the media rights. And if the media if the media rights almost said media rights if the media rights aren't as good as they have been, then what do you do? Like, how is there value there? This is what they figured out. I think UFC made a great play, and UFC being Endeavor, who owns UFC, made a great play because it's going to give them more eyes. Believe it or not, there are more eyes on WWE currently than on UFC. Right. Yeah. But that's yeah. going to change. It's going to take a while to get there. But basically, the UFC and, and Endeavor is saying, let's build our our next generation of fans now through the WWE. And that's why I think we're also going to see WWE's bookings change to where it's going to be more kid, even more kid-friendly. To try to get that, you know, the, the little kids, the families, but then also the, the, te the, the pre-teens kind of thing going. People like who are my age, who occasionally watch, who used to watch back in the day, we're done. I mean, they they, they want us to go watch UFC. Right. And actually, they're going to try to push at us. And I, I'm an occasional UFC watcher. I'm, I'm not 
I'm not as schooled in that as I am in other sports. I do enjoy it when I watch it. I should watch it more, frankly. I think AEW's got an interesting opportunity here to try to appeal to the older audience, uh, you know, on that front, if if WWE's going to focus on a young audience like that. We'll see. I 100% agree. And if I was Tony Khan and I was the the Khan family, the owners of AEW, that is exactly what I would do. I would push for every 18 to 50-year-old. And I would go old school with it. I'd just take, I mean, I would go to those, I'd do whatever I had to do and see him punk back. And then from there, I would just old school wrestling kind of stuff with storylines and that sort of stuff and bring those people back. It's a great opportunity for AEW as well. Yeah. They're going to blow it up. Um, the, uh, the NFL football headlines yeah. now. Let's start with the Denver Broncos. John Elway out of the organization, no longer has any official title or role of any sorts uh, as his contract ends. We know that the Broncos are under new ownership now. Um, Elway largely criticized for uh, never really being able to replace uh, Peyton Manning. And even most recently, this move with Russell Wilson has not looked good at this point. Um, he didn't get them a Super Bowl, and, and and he did a good job of bringing in Peyton and getting that, that, uh, that ring, but um, I mean, once Peyton was gone, things were not good of the LA era there in Denver, Bo. Yeah, you know, I, it's this is not unexpected at all, given like you said, the new ownership, and there's not a relationship with John Elway. Um, I think that, that John Elway gets a little bit of a bad rap, you know, when it comes to the quarterback thing. I and mean, he did go get Peyton Manning, and he was responsible for that. But replacing Peyton Manning is also like replacing Tom Brady. I mean, he's Peyton fucking Manning. You're not going to find the right guy every time. They made some, like, boneheaded mistakes. You know, Tim Tebow, um, uh, Trevor Simeon, a few others like that, that were reaches. And Paxton it was more, Lynch. Uh, Paxton Lynch is another one, yeah. That and that was, was like Elway. A, that was totally Elway, Paxton That Lynch. was Elway's guy. Yeah, that I know was Tebow was – yeah, I know that Tebow was not necessarily Elway's guy, but he went along with it. Um, you know, I look at it and go, you know, it's probably a good time to separate for these two. But I do think that they should make sure that it's done in a way where the organization thanks Elway for the time he was there because he is the biggest name in that franchise's history. I know Peyton Manning was there. No bigger Peyton Manning fan than I am. But John Elway means more to that uh, franchise than Peyton Manning does. So it's something where keep him happy, bring him in when you can for different things, because you may need someone to be the, I don't mean to write the ship, but someone who can be, who's your famous alumnus, so to speak, saying, hey, things are going to be okay. I trust this ownership. They're doing things the right way. I don't know how good they're going to be this season. I'll say this. Um, Bo, I, I feel like this actually might not be the last uh, of Elway around that organization. I mean, th- think about this. Here's what I, I have in mind here. Uh, yeah. The Lakers, for whatever reason, feels like they've never really gotten rid of Magic Johnson, even for as bad yeah. as he was and some of the bonehead decisions he made. He was still Magic Johnson. He was still loved and still consults the organization, still around of some sorts. Um, you know, We'll see how this goes with this management, the Sean Payton situation, all that. But 
I feel like Elway, even if he doesn't have a former role, will always be tied to and always be advising. And, you know, if if they hit the reset button again, I, I feel like they would be calling Elway back like, hey, we, we need your help in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's what I'm saying, too, is I think that he needs to be sort of your, uh, you know, okay, things are jacked up. We need some help. We need some goodwill. He still has some goodwill. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's where the they're at. There's a – we don't know what's going to happen with the Broncos, and it could go very poorly or it could go very well. I guess it's going to – it's going to depend in the end on one guy and one guy alone, and that's Russell Wilson. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Lamar now. Eric DaCosta, the uh, Ravens GM, says it's possible that they will pick a quarterback in the first round. They hold that 22 overall selection. Have to think all the top quarterbacks will definitely be gone by then. So they'd be potentially dipping into that next tier, like Hendon Hooker or somebody like that, if they're picking at 22. But also, if you read between the lines, is he indicating that a trade could happen? We've heard the Colts as one of the teams interested. They hold the four number four overall pick. That would then put the Ravens definitely in position to get one of those quarterbacks. What do you uh, make of uh, this whole situation right now where things stand with uh, the Ravens and their quarterback deal? Okay. You obviously, because of your position, know a lot more inside than I do. So, But I'll, I'll say that. We talked a little bit already. But my opinion here is simply this. The Ravens have very much overplayed their hand. If there are very few teams that are in the the mix to make a trade for Lamar Jackson, we talked about this already. I said on my past my podcast, I think it's just straight up collusion at this point. But it's I think what we've got here is if I'm the Colts, and if the Colts are smart, they will not pick a quarterback at number four. They can go pick anything they want at number four. Don't pick a quarterback. Make the trade the moment after you make the pick. Don't give up the number four pick to get Lamar. We know that the parameters, there's no way out for the Ravens on the parameters of what the trade's going to be. It's going to be two ones. You're not getting a penny more than two ones. And anybody, anybody that wants to get Lamar Jackson can play hardball. They can simply say, as long as Lamar hasn't signed his his um, his offer sheet, which he says he's not going to, any team can come along and say, all right, we'll sign you to an offer. And if the Ravens match it, great. The Ravens have got their quarterback. If they don't match it, you're giving away your next two. I just wouldn't give up a 2023 pick. I wouldn't let the Ravens have the the, the out of getting a high pick this year. I'd make them pay for it. So if I was one of these teams, and the, 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 the team I floated in this whole thing was the Atlanta Falcons. If I was Arthur Blank, I think that's the perfect situation. You know, I'm no Falcons fan, but you tell me a place that's better suited for Lamar Jackson than Atlanta. You go in and you say, hey, we'll make the deal with you. We're making that deal after we pick in the first round. You can get our 2024 and 2025 picks. Because you know if you add Lamar Jackson – your picks just went down in the draft because you became a better team. So why would I give you the fourth pick when I can I can give you the same deal in a week or even three days after the draft and not have to give up the number four pick? If I'm the Colts and I get Lamar Jackson, hey, I can't. 
I'll pick the best player available at four, which could be Jalen Carter. And I can get Lamar by trading my next two picks. Well, I know I'm a better team. I'm not the number four pick next year. I'm probably near 20. And I've bettered my team both ways. You know the price. Now play it smart. Yeah, this now, is, that's where the Ravens have totally messed this thing up. You mentioned the they Colts. Be... Go I'm sorry. You mentioned the Colts. I was thinking about this, though, Bob. There was speculation this week that the Colts might even have to trade up one spot to three to go get Levis or Richardson, whoever they like better, uh, assuming it's Richardson. Um because he wouldn't be available to them at four, uh, potentially, if somebody else trying to trade up to get to that spot where Arizona is. If that's the case, if you're the Colts and you are saying we are either drafting a quarterback or we want Lamar, don't you one way or the other have to have a game plan and know what you're doing before going into draft night, whether it's a Lamar deal or going forward and getting a rookie quarterback like you have to figure it out one way or the yeah. other, right? Okay, so the first thing you got to do is identify what quarterback you think you can get it for. The idea of trading up to three, to me, is ridiculous. And it is because there's four quarterbacks in this draft that are going to go in the top ten, maybe in the top five. But then you throw in Jalen Carter in there or Will Anderson, one of those two is going before four. I'm thinking that's where you look at the Cardinals. Well, the wait, only well, way – the possibility is somebody might trade so, through the somebody quarterback. else trade in yeah so somebody else trades in and takes that quarterback you still got the fourth one at four so you got to ask yourself are you willing you're not going to get stroud and you're not going to get bryce young you know that none of those right. two are dropping before then you got to ask yourself do we like levis or do we like richards you're going to get one or the other which one do you like better and do you like one a lot more than the other now, let's say, for instance, you really like Richardson and you like him so much that you think he's the next Lamar. Then you can trade up to three because you can't give someone the pick if you think the disparity is a great deal less for Levis. But if you could take either of them, if you're one of these teams that says, hey, we like both, we'll see which one we get. We know that if we draft Richardson, he ain't playing this season anyway. That he's going to be a backup. He's not playing in this in the 2023 season, barring a huge injury to a team that takes him. I look at it and go, I'd sit there and stay unless I value one over the other in a, in a drastically large way. I'm getting one of them, and I might have my choice still. Yeah. So I don't know. I But I think if I'm the Colts, I'd play hardball with the Ravens. I'd say, no, we're not moving number four to you. You know, if you get to draft day and the Ravens draft, what, 23? If they want to make a deal, say, okay, we'll make a deal. We want, we obviously want Lamar. We'll give you four, but you're going to give us 23 and we'll give you next year's one. Yeah. That I would do. I still have to have a first round pick. Right. So that's, yeah, I'm not giving, I'm going to make the Ravens suffer for for not, for making a bad pick. For making this whole situation, they have, and I don't know if it's all the Ravens' fault. I, I I think a lot of it is, 
I think some of the blame could be on Lamar by not having an agent. You know, I think it does make some difference not having an agent. But I think the other part of it is I think there's pressure from other owners onto the Ravens to say, don't pay him what Deshaun Watson got. Don't give him that guarantee contract because we can't afford this. You and know, that's where the collusion comes in. On on Lamar's end of things, and and I think I agree with you, the Ravens are much more responsible for this not working out the way it has. Yeah. Um, but of the whole thing with Lamar not having an agent, I feel like this would have been solved and he would already have a, a new deal with the Ravens had he had an agent. Um, I, I understand everybody wants to, you know, keep every dollar they can and, and all that. But as far as him not having an agent, the league has rules, parameters. Agents can't make more than 3% of what you're yeah. bringing in salary-wise. Yeah. With what they can do and knowing how this business works, why would you not just pay that 3% and have an agent take care of this instead of doing what Lamar's doing here? I, I don't know what Lamar's thinking is. I do agree that I think that and I, I heard this point as well. An agent is there also to tell your boss the things you can't tell him and to hear the things from the boss the boss doesn't want to tell you. And I think that, hey, look, it's a lot easier for Lamar Jackson to send the agent in there to go say, fuck you. Than it is for him to go say it. Right. Because he may have to mend that fence. The agent doesn't have to. That's why you hire an agent. We it, it, a really I, I would I would definitely have hired an agent for this if I was in Lamar. And I I would have gone and got Sean's agent, honestly. I mean that that sounds awful to say, but if someone got Deshaun that contract, that's who I want fighting for me. Because yeah. the, the argument is just too easy. I've said it before. I've said it again. It's it's Lamar. You don't have any of the off-field problems. He's been an MVP. He's a model citizen. You can put him on every billboard in the city. You know, we're talking about Baltimore. I don't want to sound racist here. We're talking about a city with a high African-American population. He's an African-American quarterback who is extremely popular there. This makes so much sense for the Ravens. The Ravens have fouled this up. And how hard can it be for the agent to go in there and say, look, here's all the reasons you're going to give him the money. And if not, we're going to make it known that you didn't want to give him the money because you don't believe in any of these things. Or you're being pressured by somebody else. And if you're being pressured by somebody else, whoo, don't let there be a lawsuit of collusion that's then provable. Collusion is the hardest thing to prove. But if, it's, but if it ever gets proven... Lamar's in for a payday like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, I think so. Uh, OBJ, your boy, uh, our guy Thomas, uh, his his guy as well. Uh, OBJ still looking around. Uh, new report is out that he wants about $15 million. Um, he said himself that he's not playing for $4 million, but he definitely – wasn't asking for 20. Yeah. Um, apparently he has an offer from the Ravens. Uh, a couple other teams uh, obviously have shown interest. What do you think of uh, this OBJ situation where it stands right now? Uh, our, our long national nightmare. Is it almost over? To, is OBJ, is he going to sign somewhere soon? No, he's not. He's not going to sign for a while. And it's not our our long national nightmare is Aaron Rodgers. Let's just be, be real about that. Okay, fair, uh, that's fair, yes. 
Um, look, I, I think I said it here last week. You know, my opinion on Odell Beckham, what he ought to do is turn himself into De- into Darrell Reeves. He got to go be the ultimate, you know, one and two year guy. Just keep signing two year deals, one year deals over and over and over again. And he will clean up when it's all said and done. He goes, signs a one year deal this year. He goes out, balls out, has a great year. He's going to get another contract somewhere else. That's what I would do if I was Odell Beckham. He's made some money already. He's made a lot of money already. He can make even more this way. There's no way to stop it now. Now there's no franchise tags you can put on it. There's no, you know, he's a guy that as long as he stays healthy, you're going to make money. So he's bet on himself. I think he should bet on himself one more time. I don't think he should be looking for a four or five year deal. I would keep just doing what Darrell Rivas did at the end of his career. Those last seven years, I think it was, where he jumped a couple times and he was the highest paid DB. Beckham could very easily be, if not the highest wide receiver, one of, if he puts himself out there as a free agent every year or every other year, because there's always somebody that thinks they're a star player away from winning the Super Bowl and can make that move. So I'd be the lone gunman if I was Odell Beckham. That's how I'd do it. And if you're OBJ, um, you know, we mentioned he got the offer from the Ravens. I mean, you you talk about taking your time and everything. Oh. Why on earth would you sign with Baltimore right now with not knowing what their quarterback situation looks yeah. like? Maybe you maybe you're okay with going there if they have a rookie quarterback or whatever it may be. But I would at least like to know who the rookie quarterback is. Yeah, if I'm Odell Beckham, there is no way I'm signing a deal with the Ravens, particularly until I know who my quarterback is. And frankly. He shouldn't go anywhere where it's not a good quarterback situation. Because, again, he's going to bet on himself. And he's going to need that situation again. He's going to need a good quarterback. It's like every good receiver does. So, I, yeah, I agree with you on the I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a moment to think about the Ravens right now until I see what happens between now and draft day. Even if they resolve it before draft, I don't think that the Ravens will. Yeah. So, yeah, I Kind of where I'm on Beckham right now. I think that I think he's playing this smart to let the cards, the hand play out a little bit, and then decide if he wants to play cards or not. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Coach Bo joining us right now. Coach Bo's football fix presented by Counter Advisory Group. OAGKS.com, counteradvisorygroup.com. Um, Bo, uh, let me ask you about uh, one more thing on the uh, the the NFL front. Uh, that uh, I want to get to here before we uh, kind of move on. The Cardinals ownership situation, ex, uh, their ex-executive uh, uh, accuses the owner Bidwell of cheating. Uh, I know you followed this story more than I have, but it has been a bad run of PR for the uh, Cardinals the last couple of months. You had the uh, NFLPA report that rated them the worst run team in the league, yeah. Uh, that they don't even give out like free coffee or meals to their players and oh, they charge for their jersey season. Yeah. And then, you know, not only have they were terrible this past year, had a bad year and everything, but now you got this going on too. What the hell is going on with the Cardinals? I, I think that's ownership. I mean, when you're that cheap of an organization, that's ownership. That's not one executive. Now we if 
those who haven't heard the story yet, there's supposedly a the general manager had been suspended for having a DUI. It was like his second DUI, and he he's a he's a piece of work himself. So the owner stepped in and got burner phones for the general manager, the head coach, and this particular executive, so they could discuss things via text and via calls. What's a big no-no? If your general manager suspended, he can't be talking to his coach. He can't be talking to player personnel guy. And they violated his terms. So now we're seeing that McDonough, the the executive in this case, is saying not only this happened, but he can prove it because he has the burner phone still. (laughs) The Bedwells, the Bedwells are the owners of 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 the team, they're saying that this is basically a hoax and that McDonough's mad because he was demoted uh, last season and that it's this is him trying to get back at the team. Uh, if they've got phones, if the phone's got the info, I mean, we'll see. That's all you got to know. But I'll tell you what, I would not give the benefit of the doubt to the Bidwells. This team runs this organization really poorly. And it's a shame that any NFL team is run poorly when you think about it. I mean, it's just uh, an NFL team is like owning a casino. It's a, it's a license to make, to, to just spend money, to make money, to, to, to print money in this case. And if you can't figure it out and do it the right way, just, to this point, I don't know what to tell you. And the Bidwells are amongst the worst in the league when it comes to it. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk some college ball now. Uh, so, Bo, as you know, I was at the Final Four this weekend, and I got to tell you, I was so impressed with San Diego State's turnout. Not only the fact that they got to the championship game as a mid-major and all that, but their fan base was as rabid as any of the any of the schools there, including UConn and Miami, San Diego State had just as many, if not more fans than anybody else. They were the loudest fan base there. Um, you know, I was very impressed, came away with uh, that San Diego State program. And I know that they opened and lost UConn, but uh, they put up a valiant effort to get as far as they did. Impressive run for San Diego State. And now questions about their future. Uh, we've seen them linked to the Pac-12 for a long time now. Uh, even the Big 12 has come up. I was reading that uh, the Big 12 uh, has gotten clearance to potentially add UConn and San Diego State, either one, and still get a full revenue share potentially uh, if they were to add both those schools to its league. So with that said, um, what what do you make of the prospects of San Diego State and and, and UConn both, uh, especially after this weekend? I know it was basketball, but I came away very impressed with both schools, especially with San Diego State and both their football programs. Uh, I know UConn was down for a long time, but they were much improved this year. And San Diego State got a new s- stadium. They've been pretty solid the last couple of years under Brady Hoke. They seem to be investing in their football program as well. What do you make of those programs and their futures? Let me start with San Diego State because, um, one, I think they definitely deserve to be moving up to a larger conference, whether that's the, the Big 12 or the Pac-12. I know the Pac-12 is kind of looking at them as a replacement. If you're the Big 12, that's a pretty good way of getting in Southern California. And what I mean by that is 
You saw at the Final Four a lot of San Diego State people. San Diego's a big metroplex, and it's a big city in Southern California. You got a lot of USC fans there, but San Diego State is the local school. Good football program, good basketball program. Basketball program is phenomenal. Football program has history, has been very good. They were very good as an independent. They've been very good where they're at now, and they can't, and they are. The Brady Hope, they're on the come up. I, I like the fact if I was one of those two conferences, I would take a serious hard look at San Diego State. Um, I have a little bit of advantage in this. I, I talked to my wife about it this weekend, actually. My wife worked for University of Kansas for years, and she worked for the bookstores. She ran the bookstores for Kansas. And she could go to events nationwide with a lot of people from different schools. And I asked her about San Diego State and her history. I knew she knew some people there. And she said they're they're rabid. Locally, they, they are rabid about San Diego State. Uh, she implied to me that it reminded her of Kansas State in a way. Mm. That their fans are their fans. They're not USC fans. They're not UCLA fans. They're San Diego State fans. She said San Diego State is very much like a Kansas State. And, and you've seen what Kansas State fans are like. I mean, when they're good, they're going to come out and support them. San Diego State will do the same thing. And I was glad to get that insight from her because I knew she knew. Um, I'd look at that and just go, yeah, that's a team I'd want in my conference. To get into Southern California, but also – and it's also a big city. I mean, San Diego is a huge city, and that's their team. I think, Bo, if you're the Big 12 or Pac-12, the only thing that I think should hold you back from San Diego State is if you weren't going to get the full revenue share. If you yeah. can, If you can get the revenue where it doesn't take away from your current members, then – I think either conference, it makes total sense to add San Diego State. Yes, yes. I think that's the caveat to it, is I wouldn't want to split off current revenue shares to add anybody at this point. Right. I mean, the, the teams that are left out there, you wouldn't want to add it. The only ones I could think of would be Oregon and Washington. But other than that, and that's just trying to steal those from. Um, and that'd be a long-term investment for your next team. Yeah, that's the investment there. But I think otherwise, yeah, I think if you – if you're going to be able to give an even stake, you know, to add additional revenue by adding those teams, I think it makes a lot of sense for San Diego to add San Diego State. Now, to cut them in on an existing deal that's going to make you have to pay a little less to everybody else, I'm not so sure of. Right. But I think that there's definitely upside there, and I would make that deal if I was San Diego State as well. Yeah. Well, and apparently uh... – I'd heard that Brett Yormark, the Big 12 commissioner, was very impressed. He was around at the Final Four this weekend. Uh, they cut a lot of national attention. The Pac-12, they have said from the jump that they want to get their TV deal done first and then go to expansion after that. We even heard something crazy about maybe even Tulane uh, or Rice possibly as candidates for the Pac-12. was That came out over the yeah. weekend. I just found bizarre. Uh, yeah. But – Tulane, Tulane be great in the Pac-12. Rice, Rice trying to get into Houston is trying to do. Right. With that, yeah. with, with that being said, Bo, uh, you know the Pac-12 focusing on the te- the the media deal first, and then expansion potentially after that. Um, I mean, clock's ticking. 
the, the Big 12 is already done. They're on the prowl. They're looking to expand. And reports are the Pac-12 is still months away from a TV deal. They, they, they either got to, as you say all the time, you either got to shit or get off the pot here. They, they are running out yeah. of time. If they don't get this TV deal set, do, done soon, I think they're going to start losing members here. Yeah, not only are they going to lose members, it might kill the conference off. I mean, or even even if they don't lose members, they might lose out on San Diego State to the Big Twelve. Yeah, I mean, think about it. If they lose, let's let's, let's have an instance here. Let's say that Oregon and Washington go to the Big Ten at some point. Let's say that uh, San Diego State ends up going into to the Big Twelve. Um, we talked about the four corner schools possibly going to the Big Twelve. So if, if you get those schools over. Now you've got a 10-team conference where you only have three teams left. And I can see those last three teams, Oregon State, uh, Washington State, and Cal. Well, it's four, Stanford as well. I can see them end up in a conference USA or something like that. You know, the American Conference. I mean, that – Mountain West, yeah. Yeah, Mountain West is another good place. West Coast Conference. I mean, whatever it takes at this point, they're going to be so frustrated with the – Pac-12, they go, hey, this thing ain't a viable entity anymore at this point because they haven't made a decision. Yeah, it's been nothing but mistakes to big at the Pac-12 offices. Meanwhile, from the Big 12, I got to get that thing done with those four corner schools. I got to get that done sooner than later too. Yeah, and and I would even go as far to say that uh, Bo, if it's a piece by piece deal, if to get Arizona, if uh, if I have to take San Diego State but can't get the others, I'm willing to make San Diego State a travel partner with one of those four corner schools if, if that's what it takes to, to get one of them yeah. across the finish line. It wouldn't also surprise me if Utah fell off that deal and San Diego State became the fourth. If you have two Arizona schools, Colorado, San Diego State, it right. makes a lot of sense. And you still have the Salt Lake market with BYU. Yeah. Right. The BYU. Yeah. So I mean it's BYU's a bigger deal than Utah anyway. Right. So you'd like to have Utah. I mean it Big 12 as the three teams coming up, what would they be at? They'll be at 12 or 10 again. So they're, they're at 12. With the with Oklahoma and Texas out of the picture, they are 12. Okay. And so then four more would put them at 16. Okay, yeah, when you have those two. Okay. Yeah, so that would put them at 16. So it'd be hard to get a, a 17th team. Yeah. You know, how do you do that schedule-wise? So now you might have a little bit of a, of a thing between Utah and San Diego State. Colorado's easy to me, especially with Coach Prime there. And then I think one Arizona school, you get one, you're getting the other. I think it's just too close. That's too close to rivalry to split up. So, And I think they'll both want to be in as well. Yeah. All right. The other thing I would consider, if I was one of these conflicts like the American Conference or Conference USA, man, try to figure out a deal with, with Google or Zoom or um, or Amazon and try to go make your own deal here. Can yeah. someone make a deal and get rid of some of our lower-level teams and go get the Arizona schools in, in Oregon? And, and why not? I mean, that, be aggressive. I'm, I'm always I'm, – I'm a guy who believes in being aggressive when it comes to these kind of things. You know, the Rolling Stone gathers no moss. Yeah. One uh one final note, we'll wrap up here. Uh did you have a good laugh about Sean Snyder ending up in Lawrence? Okay, so <laughs> I have opinions here. 
Um, I know some old school K State people who love Sean Snyder that absolutely love him. Um, I think this has more to do with recruiting than anything else. I really do. Um, I I live in Lawrence. Look, I went to Kansas State for a couple of years. My wife's a K State grad. I have some very close friends who played at K State and who are still very much plugged in. There's always been the thing, uh, there's been a separation of the Snyders a little bit when Sean didn't get the job when his father retired the first time. And then it was just known the second time around that wasn't going to be Sean's job. Uh, Sean isn't that good a coach, if you ask me. I don't think he's good enough to be a head coach at that level. He's a fine football coach. But one thing Sean Snyder's done really well was recruiting locally. If you look over the last 15-plus years, in the state of Kansas, the best players, they all go to Kansas State. Even the kids from Lawrence. Even the kids from the Lawrence area, they go to Lawrence High School or Free State High School, have all gone to K-State. There have been a couple of exceptions who have gone out of state. But they, they get K, they, K-State gets those guys before KU gets those guys. And I've always said that was kind of a shame since I've moved here because KU could have a lot of, uh, football-wise, a lot of energy by having a few of those local kids. Um, And I won't bring up names of some of those kids, but, I mean, there's kids who are at K-State now, kids that have been there in the past, who and could be there in the future, that had they gone to KU, it would have been great for the program, especially now NIL. One of the things I think this is, is this is – Lance Leipold's way of fighting back and saying, let me get the guy who knows all the high school quarterbacks in Kansas, all the high school coaches in Kansas. Let me get the guy who can get me into free state better, who can get me into Derby better, who can get me into Manhattan high better. And, and not those kids just not automatically go to K-State. I think that's the play here. And I don't think it's a bad idea. I mean, anyway, he's going to be a special teams coach. He's gonna be, I mean, he was good at that. Right. That's the one thing you can say about Sean Snyder. He was a very good special teams coach. If he can recruit in state, good enough. That's all I'd have him do. Coach my special teams, recruit in state. Make sure I get the best. I want the best three players in Kansas every year. It, uh, this state's not like, and I live here in Kansas, obviously. This state's not like Texas or Louisiana or Florida or, or California or Georgia, where the best 25 players are all Division One guys. You've got maybe five to six really good ones who can play. And KU gets none of them. That's what this play is about. As this is this is Lance Leipold's way of shutting it down and saying, okay, the best three to five are coming here now. Don't let them go to Manhattan. Right. You know. Yeah. And guys like Devin have shown – you can stay at home and get the job done. So it's a great example. Devin Neal is the one guy from Lawrence who didn't go away and has been extremely popular. He didn't here. take the easy way out. He didn't. And and now I know that in his case, he's also a big KU guy. But I mean, there's people like the Deneen boys who are both free staters who are both went to K State, the, la- the last two went to K State. And even though their whole family is KU kids. And they all, those last couple went to K-State. Jackson Dean's playing at K-State quite a bit. He'd have been humongous here at KU. You know, you know Malik Berry's and their kid who, I know he played the Juco route, he's played at Indiana State, but KU wouldn't even offer him a scholarship. They wouldn't even preferred walk-on. And it's like, this kid ought to be your starting middle linebacker. 
or starting outside linebacker. I, I, so there's there's players here. And that goes back to they just haven't done it right with the local kids, whether that's kids in Lawrence or kids statewide. Yeah. And that's that's where I, that's where the Sean Snyder thing comes from. All right. So somebody needs to get Bill a Liberty Bowl KU pullover as fast as possible. Um, <laughs> I, I would love you to can see, see that. him at Taco Bell at 1130 at night. Do you know that story? No, I don't. OK, so the rule was so I, I went to Kansas State again. This is so many years ago. It was a rumor that, and Bill Snyder said it's kind of true, he doesn't eat a lot. He only eats one meal a day. And many times his one meal a day was going to Taco Bell when he left the facility. So he'd go, he'd leave the facility. He had to go home where he'd pass by a Taco Bell, get Taco Bell, take it home and eat and go to bed. Yeah, so like there was a thing, if you want to see Coach Snyder, just go to Taco Bell at like 11 or 12 o'clock and you'll see him there. Well, uh, good news for the uh, Snyder family. There's a Taco Bell just real close to KU's campus there. Uh, yeah, so maybe Sean will uh, maybe they'll have to introduce Sean to the Burrito King. Yeah. Oh, we got a, yeah. more of a, more of a little more of a Lawrence deal there. That's the move. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, what a what a wild event! I did not expect to read that headline. Sean Snyder was in Lawrence. Uh, we, we were recording the previous podcast. Uh, Ellen and I were. And she sends me a, an instant message with an article, and I popped it up and read it, and literally had to pause. I was like, started laughing when I saw it. I was like, "That's funny to me," because I mean, to know the I mean, K Staters do not like KU. It's just yeah, they don't, I, they don't even tolerate KU people. It's I don't think the Snyder family's relationship is as good with K State as we thought. I don't think so now either, and it's a shame because. I mean, it's pretty clear what happened. You know, I mean, they Sean's name to... is on the stadium here. It's Bill Snyder yeah. Family Stadium. Family Stadium. Yeah, um, it's pretty clear what happened. I mean, they went and hired Coach Planeman. He's their coach, and he was he did the right thing by trying to keep Sean there for that first year, but that wasn't going to work out. And they made you know, those the right hire. Can't team. really be mad at K State either. No, you can't be mad at K State because they made a great hire. He's much better than. Then Sean Snyder would have been at that job. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, yeah. Bill uh, is more than welcome in Lawrence uh, anytime. KU fans have never hated Bill either. They've always respected him. Uh, you know, there's a reason for that, though. He's a class act, dude. Yeah. If you've ever had the interaction with Bill Snyder, you will come off in a positive way. Um, we were at. I think that's part of the reason why, too, this makes it easier is because. KU fans have always been good to the Snyders. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, 2019, I was at the SEC, of all places, the SEC championship. And I'm at the thing beforehand, and Bill Snyder was there in like some kind of a legends panel. And my wife, in K State grad, was with me. She's like, oh my God, it's Coach Snyder. I mean, she went apeshit. And when he came off the stage, we were kind of right over there by the state, by the, the, the exit. And my wife had, she says, no, I'm, I'm wearing. Or the LSU purple, but I'm a I'm a K Stater. And he gave her a hug and she was like, Oh my God, I love you still, coach. I mean, just in this, it was his interactions. I've, I've never heard, I don't even heard of a person having a bad interaction with Bill Snyder. You had a Bill Snyder bad interaction, it's because you're pretty much a bad person. I mean, he treats everyone like they're his grand, like it's his grandchild. Yeah. 
I mean, he's a sweet man, a wonderful man. And I always again, love I the handwritten letters that he sends. Yes. And I know a lot of people who played for him and they will tell you that each and every one of them will tell you that he is a gentleman and like a, like a father to every one of them. I mean, he's, they've all told me the same thing. They're better people for having played for Bill Snyder. Yeah. And that's pretty amazing. That's not like they, they, tell, they don't tell them that in the locker room. You have to feel that. Right. And like I said, it's unanimous. And I know a couple dozen former players from K-State. So. Yeah. And, and not to mention just how great he is. I, I honestly think Schneider is one of the top ten coaches in the history of the sport. I, mean, I think the job he did at Kansas State is maybe the best job of all time. Yes. I think it's not I once, mean, but him, twice. Yes, twice. I mean, it wasn't as bad the second time, but where right. he took that. I mean, people told him to not take that job because it was death. And he took it and built it into a powerhouse. And people told him not to take the job back the second time that it would ruin his yeah. legacy. Yeah. yeah. He didn't. I mean, he didn't ruin his legacy. He's still a great coach. I mean, he got their coach today, I bet, if his health's good enough. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. Coach Bo joining us. Uh Fun conversation today, as always, Bo. We'll uh, check back with you next week and uh, have a, a good Easter and Passover and all that thank this you. week. We'll uh, talk to you on the other side. Hey, thank you, Tyler. See you next week, buddy. All right. Uh, a couple more things before we uh, wrap up today's show. Uh, Thomas Bridges rejoins me. And, uh, Tom, let's uh, talk about the uh, the Masters here for a little bit. Uh at the time you guys are listening to this, uh, the Masters has already started and kind of gotten underway. So uh, we probably won't make any official picks because uh, we don't want to bury ourselves uh, with the show already <laughs> uh, going out when the, the event's begun. But nonetheless, like kind of going into this weekend, Tom, this is the first time the Masters has occurred since Live Golf started. Remember... Last year, the big storyline was Phil Mickelson not taking part because of the uh, the connections to live that was in the works and the comments that he made about uh, Jamal uh, Shoghi, the uh, journalist that, that died in Saudi Arabia and was heavily scrutinized and everything. And, uh, you know, he didn't play in the Masters. He didn't play in the PGA Championship there in Tulsa. And, uh, you know, that was that was the big deal last year. Well, this year, Liv exists. Phil is back. He's playing. He was at the Champions Dinner. He did not have a press conference, declined to have a press conference. Um, but we did hear from, you know, Phil's there. Dustin Johnson's there. Um, you know, the Cam Smith. The top Liv guys uh, are, are participating in the Masters still. And we've heard CBS and ESPN say they're still going to uh, cover the live players accordingly here. And, and, you know, for much that's been made, you know, we, we've heard the comments from guys like Rory and Tiger and, and others heavily criticize live and, and the guys that left the PGA tour to go to live. But then we've even heard some recent comments say like, Hey, it's kind of manufactured by the media. It's not as much of a rivalry as we think it is. Uh, Tom, I, I'm not buying that at all. I think this live versus PGA thing until the two sides come together with some type of resolution where you can 
do both the PGA events and the live events, I think there is going to be a rivalry and there is going to be tension until we get some solution of some sorts. I mean, like, uh, you know, things are going to be uncomfortable and I'll, I'll make this point too. And I forgot to mention Brooks Kepka, you know, among others, Bryson DeChambeau, whatever. Um, another thing that I wonder about going into this weekend, Tom, we have seen where the live golfers, they're only playing 54 holes each week. The PGA guys are playing 72 and the live golfers are playing this format where, you know, it's shotgun start, right? And you don't know what the other guys are doing. Uh, you don't have the pressure that you do necessarily like the PGA Tour events and you're playing less golf. I wonder if that's going to have an effect on these live guys going in this weekend to the Masters of going back to 72-hole golf and, you know, the, the later tee times if you're the leader and all that. I mean, like, is is it like just getting on a bike again or – are they going to be hurt by playing – this is not a knock on Liv, but are they going to be hurt by playing an easier format like they've been doing uh, the last few months here? I don't know. That will be kind of a storyline to watch. I didn't really think about that. But, you know, it, it definitely I, – I guarantee from coming from that and shotgun starts and things like that, I think it will definitely, you know, might throw off the first round or two, you know, like uh, – it would be very interesting to see how that plays out and to kind of uh, kind of see what those scores are or, you know, hell, we might have a live guy be at the top of the boards, you know, by the time that you're listening to this right now. Tom, um, you know, I, I have nothing against live. I, I want to live in a world, no pun intended, uh, where the PGA <laughs> Tour and live can exist and, both and and you could play in both leagues and no problem, whatever. I, I think it's good for golf if if we have multiple tours going that are both successful. Um with 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 that said, uh as somebody that roots for anarchy, um I would love uh, for somebody that roots for anarchy or controversy, I would love to see one of these live guys take that green jacket and win it this weekend. I think that would certainly shake things up and ruffle some feathers here. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, PGA's like, oh, please, God, no. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, because there's, there's going to be some obvious, uh, you know, bias in a way. Like, it's, you know, don't let the outsiders win. Right. Oh, yeah. Um Tiger, I'll say this, because you can't talk about major championship golf without talking about Tiger. Tom, um, we saw Tiger at the PGA Championship last year, and, and uh, you know, he didn't partake in the U.S. Open, but he did partake in the uh, British Open. And then uh, he did the, uh, you know, the match event. I think that's the last time we saw him on a golf course. And I guess he did the event with his son, too. So he's been playing – you know, very sparingly throughout this last year. Only a few events here and there. I mean, you're you're not going to see him playing at the the Honda Classic on the PGA Tour. You know, he's he's there for the majors and the bigger events. You know, that, that that's where you're going to see Tiger nowadays. But what we've seen of Tiger in the limited time, I mean, he just 
runs out of gas. I mean, he just looks exhausted out there. But with that said, Tom, I don't expect Tiger to be in contention. I'll be honest, I don't even know if Tiger's going to make the cut. But at this juncture, with all he's been through and that car wreck that happened, you know, what was it, two years ago now, and just everything that has gone on, uh, I'm just happy that, that Tiger's golfing, that he's a part of it, um, that we still get Tiger Woods. I, I would love to see him in contention, but I'm not here to expect that and think that's going to happen either. I, I just I just hope that he uh, doesn't, you know, embarrass himself in some sort. I, I, I just want to see him get through the weekend and, and look somewhat competitive. Not expecting to win, but if he could finish in, in the top 15, top 20, that'd be a huge success, I think, for Tiger at this point. Oh, yeah, I mean <clears> – <throat> And at this point, I don't think anybody expects him to, uh, you know, go out there and, and uh, you know, be top of the boards or anything. But, you know, he doesn't have to be anymore. You know, he's kind of uh, – I don't know if this would be sacrilegious to say or not. But, you know, at this point, like, everybody wants Tiger there. Not because he's going to be like, you know, they don't expect him to be maybe the Tiger he once was. But he, he's almost become just a figurehead at, at specifically the Masters uh, because he's, he you know, it's like um, trying to find a, a metaphor for it, but I can't. But uh, he's he is, you know, he's it's like uh, if, if you don't if you go to a, a baseball game and they don't play Harry Carey's take me out to the ball game. When you're there, you dwell on that it feels it doesn't feel as genuine. It feels like you're missing something. Right. And if you make that trek to the masters or get lucky enough or you're if you're just rich enough to have the money to go to the masters, well, you know what? If I spent the money to go to the masters, I would hope Tiger Woods, you know, plays all the way to Sunday. You know, I don't expect him to win, but it's not the same without it. Right? Even if he plays like shit. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I want to see Tiger out there and play somewhat well. Not expecting to win, but um, I'll, I'll add this much, Tom. Tiger always has surpassed our expectations. You know, people said that he was a retired, uh, a retired former golfer, and he proved everybody wrong and came back to win a, a major, you know, there at the Masters a few years ago. Um, you know, when he had this car wreck, people said he's never going to play golf again. And he was way ahead of schedule and he was back out there. I, I think, Tom, we are at some point going to see Tiger play competitive golf again. But I don't know. I, I don't think it's this week. But I do think that 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 Tiger will have a shot to win another major or two before it's all said and done. I think that is still possible just don't know if that time is right now. Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, it's still Tiger Woods, and you know, can can uh, maybe not just get hot at any time anymore. But I mean, he still Tiger Woods. I mean, he's you know, and and if he was healthier than he is, that he hasn't been healthy in a long time. I mean, he every time it seems like he gets okay, or he's coming back, well, then kind of has a you know take take two steps forward and one step back type situation here. Right. Uh, so still got it in him. And I think you're right. I think he does. He, I think 
before it's all said and done, uh, you know, I wouldn't bet against him that he wouldn't get another major, but uh, we'll be good to see him out there. I did see a picture of uh, him teeing off on 18 at his first Masters and the crowd that was around him. And then I saw a picture, side-by-side picture, of him teeing off the first practice shot at the Masters earlier this week in the crowd around him just for a practice round uh, was incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, I said we weren't going to focus too much on picks because the show is going to be out before the, uh, you know, after the event's already started. But just some names that intrigue me that that I think is going to be in contention. Um, I'm looking out for John Rahm. He's always good uh at the masters and at the majors would i I think he's going to be the guy to beat uh rory's playing really good golf been a while since rory's won a major uh i think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with and then uh cam smith uh i think cam smith is going to be one to watch those are kind of the guys that i think will be the ones in contention come sunday and and uh be the ones to be those are the guys i'm looking at tom who who comes to mind that you think uh got got a shot to win this I'll tell you, I think it's overdue. I think it's and and some people love him, some people hate him. Uh, I think Zalatoris. I think it's finally Zalatoris' time. He's he's come so close and just about, and we saw him what almost last year in Tulsa. Oh yeah, in the close. majors, he always steps up in majors. That's what I'm saying. I think it's I think it's finally that's that's who I'm riding with. And uh, you know, one another name too. It's been a little bit since he won a major. Uh, Brooks Kepka is coming off a weekend where he played pretty good on the Live Tour. Uh, Brooks might might be another one. He's uh, he's looking for a, a green jacket here. Watch out for Brooks Kepka potentially. So there you have it. That's uh, a look at the uh, Masters uh, coming up from Augusta this weekend. As uh, we, I was talking about Jim Nance earlier, Tom. This is our last ever jim nance week where we get jim nance going from the final four to the masters i mean where he gets on that private jet from houston to uh, augusta jim's a lucky guy this week uh and uh, we'll be sitting there and, and enjoying it i'm sure uh with that though before we get out of here our tom fulgory story of the week thomas bridges tells us something ridiculous happening in the world Tom, where are we going to go to this time jones we're uh, we're staying home uh we are staying in oklahoma and I remember when this story came out, and I thought, what are they going to punish these guys with? Because they should get life in prison for this. But they won't. Uh, and they didn't. So, spoiler alert there. This comes from the Oklahoman. And it reads, two former guards sentenced for using baby shark to punish Oklahoma County jail inmates. Two former Oklahoma County jailers have pleaded no contest to a misdemeanor cruelty charge for forcing inmates to listen to Baby Shark as punishment. Gregory Cornell Butler Jr. and Christian Charles Miles were put on probation for two years and fined $200. They were also ordered to pay only $300 in victims' compensation and complete 40 hours of community service. They were also banned from working in law enforcement. Both were charged after an investigation determined handcuffs handcuffed inmates were forced to stand for long periods of time chained to a wall in the attorney visitation booth as discipline in 2019 the two guards further mistreated inmates by playing children's music loudly on a loop 
Investigators reported both resigned after coming under investigation. The criminal case centered on four victims, but investigators believe there were more. One victim said he had to listen to Baby Shark for two hours straight. According to an investigative report, another said the weird little song was playing, blaring and played over and over and over and over and over again. The case was brought brought worldwide media attention to the troubled jail after the Oklahoma first reported on October 2020. Both Butler and Miles confirmed playing Baby Shark during the dis- discipline, according to the report. That was a joke between Miles and I, Butler said, according to the report. The discipline had at one point involved children's music, music featuring Elmo. Uh, another guard admitted he suggested to Miles to play Baby Shark. A jury trial of the misdemeanor case has been set to begin Monday. Um, instead, Butler 24 and Miles 23 pleaded no contest on Thursday to three misdemeanor cruelty counts. Special Judge Martha Oaks imposed the sentences. She chose a type of probation that will leave them with no conviction on the record if they get in no further trouble. Both had also been charged with conspiracy, but prosecutors dropped that count. Miles and other detention officers did the best they could to keep the order with the lack of leadership going on at the time. Miles is now a truck driver. These inmates were winning the war at jail, his attorney said. Children's songs were played to calm inmates down, the attorney said. Bullshit. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's basically like a timeout. Butler's happy this matters behind him, said his attorney Lance Phillips. Prosecutors also dismissed all misdemeanor counts against the supervisor. Christopher Hendershot, a lieutenant at the jail, retired after coming under investigation. He had been charged with four cruelty counts and conspiracy count. He was accused of failing to take proper action after learning the of the discipline. He is now 52. This guy was truly innocent. His attorney said, obviously he did. That's what he got paid for. Three of the baby shark inmates filed a federal lawsuit over their mistreatment, but a judge ruled against them. The appeal is expected now that the criminal case is complete. Uh, one plaintiff, John Vasco, died in the jail of a fentanyl overdose last September. The fourth baby shark victim convicted murderer, Brandon Newell, agreed to be a witness in the federal lawsuit. Newell said he was forced to listen to baby shark for popping out of the door of his cell. After the third repeat, I wanted to scream. He told the plaintiff's lawyer, I was angry and humiliated. At the time of the incidents, uh, P.D. Taylor, the sheriff, was in charge of the jail operations. The trust took the jail over on July 1st, 2020, and Taylor left office before losing re-election. Jones, um, I personally cannot stand Baby Shark, and I have a nephew my sweet nephew, he is uh, like about two and a half, I guess now, or will be two and a half in May. Uh, loves Baby Shark. Loves Baby Shark. Any kid I've run into contact with that I know, friends, kids, my parents has a home, my mom has a home daycare, always Baby Shark. I can tell you right now, if I ever have kids, I swear to God, I'll slit the throat of anybody that pays Baby Shark for my kid, because it, it won't be me. Like, I'd Every time I hear that song, like, if this happened to me, I would go, I would be insane. It's the worst song in the whole wide world. I do believe it. Oh, it's awful. Someone else posted on the comments on this Reddit thread. Someone said, oh, I think we all know what we wish their punishment would would be. And someone put, it's corn, a big old lump of knobs. It's got (laughs) the (laughs) Which, you know what? That song... That's a great song. And it and it definitely is, you know, I saw that and I hadn't thought of the corn song in a long time. And now I know I'll be humming it at work tomorrow. But the baby shark, man, 
that's there's a reason there's a reason those prison guards played that because they know it's horrible it's torture you know you know they say like some torture methods use like like screaming loud metal music oh play that all day over baby shark i'll say this like twofold okay one i i 100 agree with you baby shark is awful uh it is the worst song on the planet um should never have to sit through and listen to Baby Shark. And if anybody plays it around me, like, uh, you know, you're 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 getting what's coming to you. You know, there was one one thing I forgot that, that I left out of my my final four interactions. Tom was uh, during the uh, FAU UConn game. There was some fans behind me, some UConn and and Miami fans that were arguing back and forth with one another. And the Miami fan, like, we thought a fight might break out. No kidding. It didn't, though. And the Miami fan says to the UConn fan, I'd go to jail for you. And, in my, and you know, you, you bring up this story. Like, if you're playing the, the Baby Shark song, yeah, I'd go to jail for you. The, 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 the destruction I'd do to you for playing that song, you know. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, once, once, it's one time, it's fine. One time, you know. The second I time, it. I'd go to jail for you. You know, what I mean? <laughs> and and honestly, like, I I think that's a great idea. Like, you're in there for a reason. Like, you're not in there to have a good time and make cookies. You know, like, yeah, be playing that baby shark. I, I don't think that's cruel. Oh, I think it is. I think it's horrible. I I would. I could never do that to somebody. Depend well, depends, but they uh someone I mean, else you got murderers, you got rapists, all these people in prison, like I mean, you get what's coming to you. I mean, that's true. I'm I mean, can't I can't you're not wrong, but uh there there's also cruel and unusual punishment written in there for a reason that right there is just yeah, I mean, picking any other song. Someone also put in the comments, like, is it worse than It's a Small World After All? I don't know. Yes, I don't is. know. It's, I mean, it's, like, I've heard, just heard stories of parents that their kids, like, always wants Baby Shark played in the car just again and again and again. And I'm like, no. No, no, no. That wouldn't, that would never happen. Like, if I had kids, okay, maybe you get it once. Actually, no, it's kind of like, uh, you know, they say some parents are those parents that, like, don't ever give their kids pop. Like, right. my kid's never listening to Baby Shark. Like, kid won't even know what Baby Shark is. Right. If I kid, like, there's there's far other things that could also be annoying that kids like, like Baby Shark. But so, Baby Shark is the, is the worst kid song I've ever heard in my whole life. The friend of the show, Dominic Odegon, uh who uh, does Let's Go Racing with David Starr with with me and David. Um, he's got a newborn at home, Tom. And what what he's been doing with his newborn, like they're not trying to treat his kid like a like a Disney baby or, you know, however you want to call it, you know. You know what what he's raising his kid like his newborn? They're they're sitting at home together, Tom. Like he's getting his kid to go to sleep. By watching football games and NASCAR races. There you go. That's how it's done. You know, I mean, 
You don't need no Nickelodeon. You don't need no Disney Channel. You know, I mean, uh, raise them right to be be a sports fan. You know, like that 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 should be music to my ears. Is uh, not not any of that that goofy baby shark. You know, get get raise them right with uh, with with some football. It, it won't be long. Uh, there'll be a NASCAR driver, I'm sure, eventually that that has a baby shark mobile. Oh, that'd be terrible. Can you imagine? Oh, that'd be awful. That'd, that'd be bad. Um, so, Baby Shark, uh, we are we are officially canceling Baby Shark. Anti-Baby Shark podcast. Okay. So, Baby Shark is canceled. Cancel culture has taken another victim. This time, uh, Baby Shark is uh, done for. So, um, and apparently we can't play it in prisons. Although, that, see, that that's... That's the thing that's conflicting with me here, Tom, is that I, I hate Baby Shark, but I am all for playing it in prisons. If anyone's yet to hear it, it should be prisoners. Oh, man. Mm. Depends on the crime. Yeah, okay. That's fair. Um, on that note, we uh, we got to wrap up. we got to get out of here. Uh, big thanks to uh, Coach Bo for stopping by. Uh, Keegan Renault as well for being here. And you, the listener, for joining us. As always, subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every Thursday. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Uh, hit us up on social media, facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live. Uh, Twitter, at Tyler Jones Live. Uh, Instagram, Tyler Jones Live. Uh, Jones underscore report, Instant Thomas. And uh, Thomas underscore Bridges on Twitter. You can find us there. And uh, we'll see you right back here next week. Thomas Bridges! Our entire crew of Tyler Jones thinks so long. This has been another Distant Jones Pro. We'll see you next week.